I'm out here on the Pacific Time Coast. And having said all that, you guys know where to go to the chat room. Frank, you know, he, he gives you all those instructions, and I encourage you all to get into the chat room. Uh, you know, me being new at this, uh, I'm not going to be able to, to kind of look at that chat room and see what's going on and, and, and respond and so forth. I do promise this week to breathe, though. I do promise to breathe this week. That was brought to my attention uh, last week by someone that said, hey, uh, you should probably breathe. Uh, I'll get better at this. I feel that I the, that I honestly will. I'll get better at this. You know, for all of our sakes. So anyway, having said all that, I just want to go over briefly a couple of stories. There's a lot of stuff out there in the news, uh, and I don't like to to muckrake. I know that uh, that's something that we we do tend to do, and, and it's understandable too. I mean. Uh, Otherwise, you just don't pay attention. Now, look, I don't watch television uh, at all. Like I said before, I mean, I, I do see it. I do kind of see what's going on. I get most of my news, you know, like most people do, from the Internet. First thing I want to kind of briefly talk about is Iran. And here's the thing. I, I'm not going to say a lot about it because I'm nearly 51 years old, and things just aren't going to they're just not going to change over there. I, I remember as a little kid sitting in front of them. My dad always had the news on. And it was always, you know, the Palestinians, you know, throwing rocks at, at, at the, the Israelis. And then the Israelis would, like, carpet bomb them with jet fighters and, and shell them with, you know, heavy artillery. You know, the, you know, the perfect response, I guess, for someone throwing a rock at you. I mean, why not? Jet fighters and, and, and artillery shells. What the heck, right? That's the way it's going to be over there. That's just the way it is. But there's a couple of things that strike me, and they really shouldn't strike me or surprise me. Benjamin Netanyahu, the war criminal himself, came out after this deal was uh, announced. And I don't have his direct quote. I couldn't find it. Uh, but it, it went something like this. It went something like, you know, Iran's going to continue to be this, like, aggressive terror-type state. And I thought, really? It's coming from him? Aggression and terror coming from him that just kind of, I don't know, I, I don't know if anybody else kind of gets that, but again, things aren't really going to change over there anytime soon. But another thing that struck me uh, from, you know, the deal that was just announced was what Obama said, and his quote went something like this, it, and it quote, it says, history shows that America must lead not just with our might, but with our principles. Okay, you heard that right, but not just with our might, but with our principles. And he means that. He means that with our principles. What have we been trying to do in Iran for, well, a long time? We've been trying to westernize them, have we not? Have, have we not organized uh, underhandedly, like, student demonstrations and so forth? We want to get, like, those the old guard, so to speak, uh, out of there, the old, like, guard-type leadership out of there. 
uh, out of Iran, or we want to like implement like did these new people, and maybe that's what we've done with their the new their new prime minister, their new president, whatever. Maybe that's what we've done. But it's I mean, if you just if you if you follow that, our principles. I mean, what did we do just about a week and a half or so ago by legalizing gay marriage? What did President do? He adorned the White House and the the sodomite rainbow colored flag. So you know, I guess. I guess we're nearly mission accomplished in Iran. Hillary Clinton said it too. I think a couple of years ago, I think it was her that said something like that. You know, we're, we're our goal is to spread Western democracy, which, as everyone knows, is it's, it's it's nearly impossible to do on places that you know that are different from us culturally. It's nearly impossible. But hey, man, we're getting there. Uh, and that's about all I got to say on Iran. Uh, not like, like I said, not much needs to be said about it. What we're doing is is wrong and underhanded, and 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 getting back to Netanyahu as far as you know aggression and terror. You know, the granddaddy, you know, the mother of all terrorist states is obviously, and it's my opinion, is this the United States of America. We're like. We're the head of the serpent, okay? And then Israel is just kind of just right there underneath us, and we we help them along at every turn. If it, if it weren't for us and our funding, uh, that place would have been steamrolled a long time ago, and that's really what needs to happen. Uh, it needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. Those are vile, disgusting people over there that they, they inhabit that. And I, I don't, I call it the terrorist state of Israel, and I do that when I call my representatives and 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 criticize them for one thing or another. So anyway, I'll move on from Iran. Second thing I want to talk about briefly is uh, Donald Trump and this whole, and here's the thing. I'm skeptical uh, of anyone running for federal uh, office, public office. I'm just skeptical. A lot of people think, uh, that, that Trump is saying all the right things and he's not going to be bullied and and he's he's the guy and he's like refreshing and there's all these kind of you know buzzwords and labels being attached to him but call me cynical uh, I'm just skeptical okay simple as that of anyone running for public office and I don't know how you couldn't be because. Every time, every presidential election, there's always like this new, you know, you got this like this new flavor. And it's just, again, call me cynical, but it seems to me like like a huge smoke screen. Okay, Trump's going to say all the right things, and he's, he's just a smoke screen. Okay. And then you got Lindsey Graham coming out. Lindsey Graham, I guess he's running for president. Lindsey Graham. Like he's qualified. I guess he could be the president of uh, GLAD or what is that, the, the gay, lesbian, something alliance. I mean, maybe he could be president of that, the president of the country. I guess. I mean, honestly, I guess. Because like I said last week, and I've been saying for years, is that the whole system is corrupt. It is completely, it is, it is completely devoid of, 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 of any legitimacy. The only way that you can change what's going on in Washington, D.C., is to replace all 546 of the criminals, that being the senators, 
the hundred senators and the, the hundreds of uh, House of Representative people, the Supreme Court uh, traders, and and the Vice President. That adds up to it's a number I came up with. I saw it somewhere a couple of years ago, and it made sense. Is it you know if you replace all 546, I mean wholesale, then things might change. But then, and I used to think that, but I've moved on. And I don't even think that if you replaced all 546 of them, things would change because the system itself is is beyond it's beyond repair. So it doesn't matter who you put in there. And so I think the only way now for us to to really you know take back our country, and I think Frank has said it, and others have, uh, is that we have to we have to we have to look at our states now. We have to try and take back our states. You know, if we can, if we can just do that. I mean, think about it. If you had, just think if you had a, a governor, if there were a governor of a state that that, that was like a real patriot, okay, that really cared about liberty, okay, and the Supreme Court passes this uh, sodomite uh, marriage legalization, and the governor of a state says, "Not in this state, there, buddy," and then the federal government says, "Well, we'll withhold your." federal highway funds. I'd say, hey, you know what? Go ahead and keep what you have because we're just going to stop collecting the tax at the pumps anyway. So go ahead and just, I guess, keep what you have because we're not going to send you anymore and we'll just get by and that, and, and do that with everything. Oh, but then we'll withhold your education funds. Really? Well, look, we're just not going to send you tax revenue anymore, period. That's it. You're done. That's, if you think about it, and if that's, if we could just get to that point, and, and that to me is, that may be more monumental than changing the federal system. I don't know. Maybe you guys can comment on that. But I think that's really our only hope now is to take our states back. And it would only take one because just like anyone else, when you have like a, a, a room, like an audience and someone speaking and, and you know, the, the guys, maybe he says something and, and everybody's afraid to clap. It like So one guy, he does like a kind of a golf clap. And then, oh, somebody sees that, and he does like a louder one. And then all of a sudden, it's a kind of domino effect. So I think it would only – I mean, you guys tell me. I think that's all it would take. Just one state, if we could just take one state back. Now, that's – again, that's that's going to be a kind of a, a tall feat because we're we're just really a long way from that. With all these distractions, I, I wouldn't even know where to start though, uh, because of all the controlled opposition out there, you know, on the left and, and and on the right, like the Tea Party on the right. I've been a skeptic of the Tea Party from day one because they, to me, come off as what I call a super patriot, like I used to be, like when I was back in the 80s and early 80s after I got out of the service and so forth. I mean, I was... I was like this super Republican. I mean, the Republicans could do no wrong. You know, I was a, a big Reaganite and, and then a Bush one and a Bush two and yeah, rah, 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 and wave the flag. And I would go to uh, these big events. I remember, now I'm going to say a bad name here. I remember when Bob Dole was running with, I think it was Jack Kemp, and they did this like big fundraiser here. And I live up in the Western Washington, and this, this happened over on Bainbridge Island, which is west of Seattle with this, this big farm or ranch or whatever. And, and the wife and I went there and, you know, we had the bumper stickers and the flags and, you know, we tried to get up close to the camp and it was, that's how I used to think. I was, I was a, a I was a, a goofball super patriot. Okay. Well, that's to me, that to me is, is 
how I view these Tea Party people. Okay, they, they just they just come off as being super patriots. They, they, they don't have any real, uh, you know, answer to fixing the the problem. It's just okay. Let's put Trump in there. Let's put uh, Marco Rubio in there. Let's put you know Ted Cruz in there. That's all they think. Or Scott Walker. Does, does anybody really think that any of the people that I just mentioned are going to make a hill of beans difference at all? Of course not. It's just all a bunch of rhetoric and double talk. And I'm sick of it. Honestly, I'm sick of it. We need to completely boycott this federal system. We just don't listen to them. First, and then get our states, like I said, get our states, get the, the governors and the attorney generals to just say, We're, no, you got no juice here. And they honestly don't. I mean, we do have a constitution, don't we? As flawed as it may well be, there are only, what is it, 16 enumerated powers. Let's hold them to that. How, how hard would that be? How simple? How easy would it be? I think it would be easy if we just... Do it. Now, here I am sitting, you know, in front of a computer talking on a radio show. It's like, well, what are you doing, Jay? Well, I work full time. I'm a truck driver. I mean, what else can I do? Uh, I do what I can. I, I write letters. I make phone calls. And, you know, when I started off and talked about muckraking, that is important to a certain point. Uh, if you, you know, if you, uh, if you're an activist, I guess, at it, if you don't just read it and get, you know, kind of down in the dumps and maybe just kind of spew to your friends or whatever. But, you know, I honestly make phone calls. I write letters. Uh, I do those things. I have a blog, irish684.com. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Go there. I write things. I have a great editor, by the way, who helps me uh, greatly. So I have those things. Now I've, I've got this show. We all have to start doing a little bit of something and let these people know that, Hey, man, I see you. Okay, I see you. The light is on. Okay, I lived in the South, in Georgia, and, you know, I was in the service. And, and, and these politicians are like cockroaches, man. They do not like the light. And just like them cockroaches down in Savannah, where I was stationed, when you flip the light on, there they were, man. And they'd like, they would get up on, on all their legs and their antennas would come up and they'd be like, ooh, like, with their, like they just got caught with their pants down. They're like, oh, okay, now what? That's how these politicians are. They're the classic. They're just like cockroaches, and some of them even look like cockroaches. Now, I don't mean to, you know, to be mean or cruel, but some of them do. I mean, does Hillary Clinton not look, resemble to you? I mean, literally a cockroach? Lindsey Graham, a cockroach? Of course. So that's what we need to do, folks. We need to boycott this federal system. We need to let them know we're doing that as well. And it's not up to really, you know, our, the governors of the state or the attorney general or even our representatives. It's up to us. It's up to us to tell them, to make phone calls and say, You're not here. You got no juice here. And I think that would go a long way. Again, it would be like that one guy with the golf clap. And then it just kind of, you know, it just gets exponential from there. And it wouldn't take much. Then, then we wouldn't have to resort to uncivil disobedience. Which I said last week that I think that's our only resort. I'll submit to you that I really think it is. 
And that's not because of me. It's because of the federal government pushing us there. I mean, how many incidents do you see? It's almost daily that you see these incidences, okay, or a different agency popping up within the federal government. You got like these tentacles that just keep, you know, the, the TSA didn't work and Homeland Security, and we got we to gotta get another one, and we got to do this and that. You got all these multi-jurisdictional task forces, and, and they're trying every which way they can to provoke us into something. And I, it's working, I guess, to some degree, at least for them, because they are kicking our rear end, I believe, right now at the moment, because we're so disorganized. You know, we're not, we're not cohesive, really, in any way. We're bickering amongst ourselves. And I think largely we agree. I think largely, you know, there's this thing called the silent majority. I think that that still applies. We just have to stop being silent. I mean, what's the percentage of sodomites in this country? Somebody maybe in the chat room can, what is it, 5% maybe, 3, 8? I don't even think it's that high. So come on. Numbers don't lie. The majority, the vast majority of the people just simply do not approve of that behavior. Yet, look what's happening. I mean, they're, they're kicking our... They're kicking our tails here. And, and people are afraid to say things. And now, look, I kind of get it. You could be fired or you could be even thrown in jail for hate speech. But I think some of that even is is scare tactics. I mean, I, you read it and, and you see it, and I do too. You see it. I got fired and posted something on Facebook or something like that. But I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit skeptical of that. How can you be thrown in jail? And look, I know what happens. I'm just saying, you know, I've become quite the cynic. And I think that's healthy. I think more people need to say, no, no, wait a minute here. I I'm not going to be afraid to. I mean, look what they say. They say even more vulgar things and more violent things. I mean, they threaten uh, violence against folks that just simply disagree with them uh, legitimately and honestly and in a non-confrontational way. The other side is always the one, aren't they? I'm not saying you don't have kooks on both sides, but mostly if, if you, you know, if you take the percentage of kooks, you know, with 5% of the sodomite population and within that 5%, how many of them do you think are kooks? Well, I would say nearly all of them. Okay. The same can't be said for the, the other 95% you might have. It's probably even unregisterable. Okay. And, and, the, and the, maybe the one or two kooks that do pop up, they're just controlled opposition or it's like a false flag. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's just how I feel. I think that's a healthy way to feel. I think people have to be that way. I think you need to start being more skeptical and, and scratching your head and saying, you know what, wait a minute here, man. Whoa, back up. Okay, back up. We do have a document. And you know what? We're going to hold you to it. Hey, I've gone over, now over the last couple of, about a month and a half, two months. I think when I called on the Frank Show once, uh, I mentioned you can buy these pocket constitution, you get them for a buck. And so I just get them on Amazon and I'd have them get spent by the dozens. And when I write a letter to my representative or a senator, I always include a copy of this with a little snarky comment saying something like, hey, uh, here's a, you swore to uphold this, so forth and so on. Perhaps you should read it. Sometimes I'll highlight some things. I never get them sent back. Now I have people say I'm wasting my time, you know, and I, I, I kind of, that's, before that used to 
mean, that kind of used to get me down a little bit. Nah, man, and people think I'm wasting my time. I mean, what am I supposed to do? You know, you have people on one hand say, wow, you got to be an activist and, and you have to, you know, be get involved. But then when you get involved, hey, man, you're just wasting your time. Okay, so which is? Well, I tend, and I have always tended to really not listen or care what other people think. So I just do what I do anyway. And I'm going to continue to do so. Uh, my family supports me. Uh, I mean, they kind of have no choice sometimes. I mean, I'll be on the phone out here for hours. I kid you not calling and I'll just start, you know, alphabetically and I'll start going down the list and, and calling representatives and just, you know, just ripping them. Okay. And, you know, my, my one daughter thinks I'm kind of off my rocker sometimes, but then I tell her and I, and I bring her out to my area and I get my son and I bring him out here and I say, this is how you do things. You don't let these here read this. You see that? That's wrong. Okay, see here in the Constitution where it says this? That's wrong. Or I'll point some out in the Bible and say, see, that's wrong. What they're doing is wrong. Okay? And you need to stand up and you need to tell these people no. You just can't let them shove it down your throat. What is that? I'm sorry. I, I don't – that doesn't fly with me. I don't let things get shoved down my throat. I don't let myself get pushed around. Okay? I just don't. Now, I haven't winded up in jail. You know, I haven't, like, completely gone off the rails, but like I said, it wouldn't be necessarily all my doing if that's what happened, okay? Because the federal government is absolutely 100% pushing us in that direction. For whatever reason, they're pushing us in, in that direction. And I don't know, I don't know what they're thinking. Well, they're not thinking. You know, they're, they're, these are, you know, these, these people are like spawns of Satan. So, again, folks, we need to, and it might sound contradictory to say we got to boycott the system, and then at the same time, we need to call these people. But I think, you know, in a way, I mean, that's, you know, you have to do both. You have to boycott it, and then you have to, you know, write them letters and send them emails and, and, and make, you know, phone calls and so forth. And don't be nice to them. I don't call them sir. I don't call them senator or ma'am. I call them public servant when I call them. And I'm not nice to them for the most part. I don't congratulate them and, and say, oh, thank you or anything like that. I, I don't do that. Now, I, look, oftentimes I get hung up on, okay? And, and like Patty Murray's office, uh, they don't even take my phone calls. Uh, I have to, like, call, you know, like an extremely local office. I have to, like, find a new number to call, but then they kind of catch wind because they got this like big database or whatever. But hey, I'm relentless. You know, I let these people know, especially like the really bad ones. And Patty Murray, uh, the senator here from the state of Washington, she's exceptionally, she's an exceptionally uh, bad politician, bureaucrat, exceptionally bad. Uh, I, I, well, I would take just a bad politician. Hey, just he kind of fumbles around, maybe trips as he's, you know, walking down the steps or something like that. Patty Murray is an exceptionally, uh, you know, bad, evil, degenerate, whatever you want to call them. So what do you guys think? I mean, let me know in the chat room what you guys think, because I think that's really our only hope at this point is to boycott wholesale this system that is in place right now and this mockery that is now become these presidential elections. How many Republican candidates now are running? Have, have, you know, 
thrown their hat into the ring. What is it? It's got to be like a dozen or so. Okay. So, yeah, I'm skeptical, you know, of like this new, what they call, you know, the refreshing voice of Donald Trump. He's not new and refreshing. He's been around. How long has he been around? He's been around as long as the rest of them. Okay. He's not new. He's not refreshing. Yeah, he might be kind of saying the right things. And yeah, okay, I agree with it. But you know what? I don't want him to be president. I don't want any of the other 12 or 15 or 8 to be president either. That's on the Republican side. I wouldn't want any Democrat to be a president. That's what we need to do, folks. Call these people even and tell them that. I, I, I have plans on calling Trump. I think Scott Walker threw his name into the hat. I've called Lindsey Graham's office before. They, they don't really like me. They just kind of hang up on me. But I, they know who I am. They know what I think of them. Uh, everybody else really needs to do the same thing. You know, just Google these people, get their numbers, call them, and let them know what you think. And tell them, hey, man, I'm not supporting you. I think you're a clown. Okay, just like I told Rand Paul and his people about two or three weeks ago. I said, you're a clown. And I, I'm ashamed that I donated $20. $5 to your campaign and stop emailing me and begging me for money. You know, that's what we need to do. And, and I'm just one person. Again, it, it, it has to get, it has to grow from there. One becomes two becomes, you know, six and you get it exponential. And then maybe they'll, Hey, then maybe they'll clean up their act. Now I, I somehow doubt it. I think it's going to take more drastic measures than that because of how, I guess you could say spoiled they become over the years with, man, they can just do anything they want. And they do. They just do anything they want. How, does, how do you think that makes me feel? Just I'll, me, personally. It's all about me right now, I guess. I'm a veteran. I fought for my country. How do you think that makes me feel? This isn't the country I fought for, folks. And it's not the country any of our other veterans fought for. And it's not the country I'm sure that, you, that anybody else wants. For the most part, for the most part, I would say that the numbers are pretty big. And so we're going to be coming up on break here, folks. Uh, I'll see you after the break. And see that. Well, I'm branded. Spent some time in San Francisco, locked up a favorite seat. I busted out a time or two, took a run at getting free. They put me back in the jailhouse, I finished serving my time. Number by my name 
number by my soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
spent a week inside a little country jail And I don't guess I'll ever live it down I was sitting at a red light when these two men came and got me And said that I was speeding through their town Well, they said tomorrow morning you can't see the judge then go They let me call one person on the phone I thought I'd be there overnight, so I just called my boss To tell him I'd be off, but not for long Well, they motioned me inside a cell with seven other guys One little barred-up window in the rear My cellmate said if they had let me bring some money in We all send the jailer for some beer Well, I had to pay him double cause he was the man in charge And the jailer's job was not the best in town Later on, his wife brought hot bologna, eggs, and gravy The first day I was there, I turned it down Well, next morning, they just let us sleep But I was up real early Wondering when I'd get my release Later on, we got more hot bologna, eggs, and gravy And by now, I wasn't quite so hard to please Two days later, when I thought that I had been forgotten The sheriff came in chewing on a straw He said, where is the guy who thinks that this is Indianapolis? I'd like to talk to him about the law Well, I told him who I was and told him I was working steady And I really should be getting on my way That part about me being who I was did not impress him He said the judge will be here any day The jailer had a wife and let me tell you she was awful But she brought that hot bologna every day And after seven days she got to looking so much better I asked her if she'd like to run away Well next morning that old judge took every nickel that I had And he said, son, let this teach you not to race The jailer's wife was smiling from the window as I left In 30 minutes, I was out of state Okay, welcome back. This is the Condition Critical Show. I'm your host, Jay Shanahan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is 38 minutes past the hour, 3 o'clock out here, Pacific Time Coast. Again, you're listening here on American Voice Radio. Uh, go to the chat room, folks. You guys know what to do. Frank tells you. He instructs you what to do. I can't do it any better than Frank does. Uh, get into the chat room. Make your comments. Again, I'm not. I'm kind of in there, but I don't have that screen up because it would kind of really distract me because uh, I'm kind of new at this. So to get in there and, and, and comment on some things, and I'll scroll down after the show and, and look and and, you know, any questions or anything like that, kind of put them in the chat room. Again, let me mention my uh, website, irish684.com. Uh, I do try and put new things on there. I do have somewhat of a newer uh, article on there, which I think you all, you all will like. I encourage you all to go there, make comments, whatever. You can contact me through there. Uh, my email address is on there and so forth. Uh, so, yeah. And... Well, I wanted to start off this uh, second half of the, sh- the show with was 
something that happened last Thursday. Uh, Frank had a power outage. I think it was last Thursday, and so he had to uh, like his show cut out, and then we had just having troubles or whatever. And I think it was last Thursday, anyway. And it, he ended up like uh, very early on uh, just doing like a rebroadcast, and it was a show from like 2004. Okay, and I find his old shows to be kind of cool. Uh, he plays always plays good music, and I just I always find his commentary to, to be good. Okay. And as the show was playing, Frank was commenting, and he made a comment in the chat room, like something like, and this was like two, now 2004, so like 11 years ago. And he made a comment like, wow, I mean, things haven't changed. And he's right. You know, uh, you know, as far as the circumstances go, really, I mean, I mean, really kind of things haven't changed. Okay. But here's the, here's the important thing that, that has always stuck out with me. And that is that neither has Frank's commentary. And what I mean by that is it's been very consistent. Frank hasn't been one of these wishy-washy guys where, you know, he's just going to say what's fashionable, you know, to try and get an audience or to try and sell something. His commentary back then is pretty much the same as it is now. I mean, foundationally. And that's important to me. That's why I've stuck with American Voice Radio and have not gone back to other outlets. Okay. And, and that should be important for, for everybody else as well, is to stick with people that are consistent, okay? Not stagnant, but consistent. You know, their, their, their message, you know, might change somewhat, but foundationally, it's very, it's very consistent. And to me, that shows a lot of honesty. It just does. And you, cause you can't fake that for 11 years. I don't believe. I just don't believe you at some point will become disingenuous and people just won't listen to you anymore. Okay. Now they might stop listening to you for other reasons, but that won't be one of them. Okay. And I'm going to mention someone and this may offend some people. I don't think it will on this network. Uh, but David Duke, you know, David Duke has been now, look, he's been marginalized. I understand. And so forth. But his message over the years hasn't changed either. There's a really good, and you can Google it still, and it's a, it's a whole interview that Phil Donahue does with him. And it's very good, by the way. And it's a video, so you can watch it, and there's audience reactions. And, and all that's going to be expected, the reaction. But, man, he did not waver. Now, he was a young man back in 1992. But his message has always been very consistent. I don't anymore, any longer uh, go to his YouTube channel and and maybe occasionally, and I mean occasionally, maybe a couple, two, three times a year. Uh, I used to get a newsletter and so forth from him. But the, the point I'm trying to make is his message. And look, he, he may have made mistakes otherwise, but his message foundationally has always been uh, consistent. Okay, I believe. Now, again, if I'm wrong, and I may be, I mean, you know, if I'm wrong, honestly, point that out to me. Show me somewhere where maybe um, I'm wrong. Point it out. I'll I'll look at it. I'll research it. And, hey, I'm 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 open to uh, you know changing my my point of view. But I just wanted to kind of bring that up about you know Frank's show that he did last week. How I found it to be you know I've always known this about Frank. I formed my, my opinion a long time ago. Uh, again, that's why I listen to Frank and his network. Is it his he's very consistent. Okay, you might not agree with him sometimes, but his foundationally, the guy is just 
consistent. And to me, that that shows a level of, of honesty. And that's, that's, that's important. It's not only important, it's, that's, that's just like lacking severely in today's society, you know, because you just have people that want to be sensational. You know, they want to, like I said, they want to whatever's fashionable and trying to sell a book or do this, that, the other. Frank's not like that. So I'll move on from that. Now, what I would like to talk about with the remaining time, and this might be kind of off the wall, but I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hope Solo. She's the female mixed race. Uh, goalie of the U.S. Uh, national soccer team. I guess they just won the World Cup here last week or so forth. But prior to that, and many times prior to that, she's been involved in legal trouble. Uh, there's, you know, and look, I live up in this area, and this I live, uh, you know, in the Seattle metro area. I live a little bit south of Tacoma. Uh, uh, you know, she. You know, she doesn't have as many fans as you may think. Uh, she's a very volatile person. She's a very uh, belligerent person. And there was an article, and I I lost it. I'll, I'll find it later. I can put it in in the chat room. Uh, she's a kind of a belligerent person, and she thinks she can get away with it. And that's probably her black side. I'm just saying, because that's how they are. You know, they could just be righteously indignant. And, you know, black females think that they can just get away with anything. They can say anything they want. Who are you looking at? Hey, this is how they are. Okay, sorry. That's no, I'm not sorry. That's how they are culturally. So, and and what I wanted to talk about with her is, you know, she had this, you know, uh, leading up to the World Cup, she got involved in an altercation at her residence over there in Kirkland with her with her uh, African husband Jeremy Stevens, the criminal former Seattle Seahawk. I mean, the guy's a train wreck. Uh, He's just a train wreck. He's a thug, and he always has been. He actually went to high school like two miles from where I live. Okay, so and he was a thug, and he's all, he's still a thug, and he's obviously he was kicked out of the NFL. Hard to do, I, you know, to kick a star out of the NFL. But I mean, some people just become too toxic. But you know, Hope Solo, you know, like slapped around her cousin, you know, and there was a fight, and there was you know, and you know, people were you know assaulted physically. And the police, I mean, you know, the cops, you know, okay, we know who the cops are. We know what they do. But sometimes, you know, they can see, I mean, what's going on. And, man, they, she, was the, she was the belligerent, I guess, in this, you know, incident. Okay. And so they arrested her and so forth, and, and she was charged. But it's kind of funny because they found the charges to be, like, not warranted or they didn't have evidence. So they kind of dismissed them or something like that now ironically or not ironically but maybe ironically now that the world cup's over now king county's they're, they're reinstating these charges okay but something i found interesting there was an article on king five and they just you know they kind of this is just some woman that says that her daughter's goalie gloves are like signed by Holt solo okay and she has like a picture frame with her autograph on it and so forth her daughter does okay and this is what she said she said something like uh she says that, you know, solo struggles, hope solo's struggles may be a testament to human to the human like frailty, right? This is his, this girl's mother saying this. And she went on to say, now get this. She went on to say, and I quote, and that's actually not a bad message to send to your child either. And she's like, uh, she continues, that, that, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You can still be talented at this, but struggle with this. Life lessons. And I'm thinking, really? 
that, that's so that's what you're going to teach your daughter that it's it's okay you know like if you're a, a star mixed race goalie to be a belligerent and you know slap people around because I mean you've gotten away with it before nobody's going to question you because well you're a black woman even though you're not okay that's what you want to teach your daughter and I thought domestic violence was a big deal I mean didn't Ray Rice get I mean, has he found a job yet from decking his girlfriend who spit on him in the elevator? And, you know, he did the natural thing. He, he decked her. And, and, and I was outspoken about that. I'm like, okay, wait a minute here. There was a fight. Women want to be treated equal. Hey, man, you spit on them. Hey, man, you're going to have to take a left hook for that. Oops, you're unconscious. Well, he did the right thing. He drug her off the elevator. He didn't leave her there, right? So anyway, it's just kind of interesting that uh, it's just – Interesting. I find it to be very, you know, I just shake my head sometimes. And I'm like, see how, how, see how stupid people are? See how just completely ignorant and brain dead these people are. So that's what you teach your daughter. Well, you know what I teach my daughter? I teach her to don't watch that kind of garbage, okay? And don't be like Holt Solo. Certainly don't be like her. I think she's a degenerate piece of garbage. But, hey... Who am I? You know, uh, I'm just a truck driver, you know, so what do I know? I guess that's all I got to say about Holt Solo. You guys can look this stuff up for yourself. But it's interesting when you read these things and you, 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 you know, you, you got to really, you got to read them. You got to, you find them. And, and I, I just, like, I just scratch my head like, well, wait a minute here, man. Wait a minute. Okay. Something may add up. And it, well, it, it, it usually never does, you know, in today's pop culture uh, society. So on from Hope Solo to Bill Cosby. Now, everybody knows, well, here's the thing about Bill Cosby. I mean, and Whoopi Goldberg has, you know, she's involved in this. Now, she's now come out and now, she now, she's got like actually received death threats for supporting Bill Cosby. Okay. Because look, black guys, they don't rape people. We all know this. That, that's just, we all know that. That's a racist thing to say that, that black guys rape women. Okay, mostly white women. Well, white women. We know that doesn't happen. Obviously, we know that that doesn't happen. I mean, just ask Atticus Finch. I mean, he, he defended the guy in, in the fictional book To Kill a Mockingbird way back when. He defended that, that poor, innocent black guy from raping that white woman because that just never happens. Okay, so... And Whoopi Goldberg was, again, receiving death threats. But, you know, now she's come out and, you know, and she said something interesting. And, and I had it here. And what was it? One of her quotes were, and this was before now, okay, because now she's been pressured. Okay. If she's caved, I guess death threats will tend to do that to you. She's kind of caved. But she said something before, uh, and, and it was like, and her quote was, innocent until proven guilty. And she, she, she was a staunch a defender of Bill Cosby, innocent until proven guilty. Hey, that's a, that's a good concept. Uh, did, uh, did the white Latino, uh, what was his name? What was the guy's name? Zimmerman? Did he get that same uh, latitude from Whoopi Goldberg and, and those other uh, ignorant uh, wenches on The View? Was he innocent until proven guilty? The, the white Latino? I think that's what they called him the white Latino, the racist white Latino, was he innocent until proven guilty? Now, look, Bill Cosby is just who he is, okay? He's just 
who he is. You get my drift? So what else did you what else do you expect? What else should we expect? He's he's Bill Cosby in. Well he is who he is. And so he and now he's kind of towards the end of his life and the and the statute of limitations. And look, don't you think for a moment that people didn't know about this sort of thing years ago? Of course they did. How could you keep that kind of thing a secret for very long? But but he was making the establishment a lot of money. A lot of money. Okay, they put him up in the TV show, the, the Huxtable Cosby TV show, which is complete. It was back then, and it's even more so now. Complete fiction. That was complete fiction. But boy, they, how long did that show run? How long did they try and hammer, you know, that, you know, their version of reality? Bill Cosby is just who he is, folks. You get my drift, and you know, and it's just kind of odd now that we'll be Goldberg because I guess, like I said, death threats will tend to make folks come to their senses, and now she's even. Well, Bill, it's, I got to throw you under the bus here, old buddy. Sorry, okay, sorry. Well, I I see these people again. These are just cockroaches, okay? They're just cockroaches. The the light is always on for me. I see them for who they are. Uh, it's just interesting. I mean, this, you know, it, it's just interesting to kind of to, to, to point these things out and to, to really see, you know, the glaring stupidity and the glaring uh, contradictions and so forth that that, that are out there. Uh, who watches The View? Does anybody watch that show? I mean, honestly, does anybody watch that show? It's, it's ridiculous. It's retarded. It's retarded. If you do, if you watch it. This is the federal government, folks. This is the federal government pushing all this tripe on us, uh, you know, multiculturalism and diversity, all this stuff that the federal government pushes on us without our, uh, uh, you know, without our permission, against our will. They, they, they push this stuff on us. They, 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 uh, they pack us into neighborhoods and force us to live amongst ourselves, even though we're not the same. Clearly, we're not the same. If we're the same, then why have diversity? It, see, those things that, that never that never jived with me. And the United States has a a motto, and it's called "E pluribus unum." It's like of oh, many one. How does that jive with multiculturalism and diversity? I I don't know. Those are that's just a question I've been asking myself for about the last five or six or eight months. Like, well, wait a minute here. Now, I understand, and I have for a long time, that diversity is not our strength. Uh, it's, our, it's most definitely our weakness. Multiculturalism is, is obviously uh, going to be our downfall. And we need to come to our senses, folks. We need to come to our senses more quickly than we're doing so. Make these phone calls. Pick something. Just pick a topic. Pick two if you can. You know, the more the merrier. And call these people. You see something, you see one of these creatures, one of these dirtbags say something, running for office, you call them. You write them a letter and say, uh-uh, there, pal. I know you. I see you for what you are, and you are a liar. And I'm not supporting you, and I'm going to tell my friends. That's the only thing, folks, that I can think that is going to work. Otherwise, well, uncivil disobedience. Get prepared. Buy a rifle, buy some ammunition, 
get some food and water, and buy a reloading press and get the components to make your own ammunition. Those are the things that you need to be doing. You know, uh, in addition to calling these these scumbag degenerates that you know run our country, and that's what they're doing. They're they are running our country. They're they are running our country. Okay, some people might say that they're not, but they're running it all right. Okay, they know what they're doing. I I, I would be even happier if they were just bumbling idiots and again, and they just tripped out a flight of stairs. But they know what they're doing. Okay, they know what they're doing. And they're doing it. They're doing it in blatant disregard for pub, for for the vast majority of the public's uh, opinion, or or to the benefit of you know the public in the vast majority. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. But see, I'm pretty confident that I'm not. I'm I'm actually I'm pretty confident that I'm right, folks. We got to start somewhere. Let's start with. I'll do. Uh, let me start. I'll start the golf clap, folks. Okay, come on. I need more people clapping with me. I need more people making these phone calls and writing these letters. Make the phone call. I guess that's easier. You know, it takes less time. Just make the phone call. And don't be nice. Get your thoughts down before you call them. Pick a subject. Like I said, maybe two. Write some thoughts down. Take some notes. Get some bullet points. And don't let them interrupt you. And hammer them. And you hammer them hard. That's what we need to do. And maybe, maybe. And, you know, it's just like throwing a rock out into the middle of a lake and you get this ripple effect. And, you know, maybe, guys, I don't know. Uh, I want things to change. I don't want things to be the way they are. I, I You know, I, I've got kids, you know, that I've, I've got a son. What kind of future is my son going to have if things keep going the way that they are? I, that will bring you down. That will. That keeps me up at night sometimes. That keeps me up at night sometimes. My children thinking, what kind of, what's going on here? What kind of country are we going to have if we don't change things? Well, we're about to the end of the show, folks. I thank you guys all for listening. Uh, continue to listen. There's a lot of great programming on ABR. A lot of good shows coming up, uh, and. Thanks for listening. I'll get better at this. Let me know how I'm doing. Uh, I think I breathed a little bit easier today. I, I may still come off as being a little bit nervous. I'll get over that. Uh, I hope to see you all here next week. Until then, God bless you all. Have a great day. Good night. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. 
stress, financial obligations, or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3Ws.thepowerherbs.com. If you have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Don't make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Wendy Wilson, hope you had a great day. Thanks for joining us here on American Voice Radio and Herb Talk Live, where we like to empower you, and that's what we're going to do. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about the brain. Yeah, first part of the show, we're going to be talking about the old noodle. You know, does size matter when it comes to the brain? Do we use all of our brain? Well, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about it. Also, we're going to be talking about strokes and how frail. We're going to take a frailty test. How frail are you? And we'll see if we have time for anything else. We've got lots to talk about. And we do have a quack report. But before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and Semper Fi. Uh, praying for our righteous men and women in uniform, lifting all of America up in prayer, asking the Lord for righteous leadership to be restored, and, you know, to have common sense restored, to have some, you know, morality restored. I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of just sick of all the immoral things. And, you know, my hope's in God. And, you know, that's my anchor. You know, he, he's a, he's the anchor of my soul. And uh, we're supposed to plead for truth and justice, as Isaiah 59 says, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek Lord's face, hitting the knees every day. Hope you'll join me because the time grows short. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. Oh, thank you, Frank. Let's see. Um, ooh, we got some problems with uh, westernized doctors, apparently. Um, we have this, uh, let's see, uh, this gentleman, well, they, they don't give his name because they they want to protect his uh, privacy. But um, according to this report, uh, a Vienna man went into a Western hospital here in the United States and was being uh, treated by Dr. Tiffany Ingram, 42, um, and uh, he needed a colonoscopy. And so they uh, sedated him, of course, and uh, apparently um, uh, he brought with him a tape recorder because um, he gets really kind of woozy and, and forgetful after he, he's been anesthetized and he doesn't remember what the doctor's directions are. So he wanted to have a tape recorder for when he came out of anesthesia and was talking to the doctor, he said. And so, but while he was under, his voice active, activated recorder picked up all the conversation uh, that, the, that he went through under this procedure. And apparently the doctors verbally abused him while he was, uh, out under anesthesia. So um, they made unseemly comments about his private areas. Um, and, uh, I mean, it was just really pretty bad. And so uh, he's driving home after the procedure, folks, and uh, he says, well, I'm going to listen to the tape and make sure I remember everything. And this is when he found out what happened. And so he um, sought an attorney, and uh, he sued, and he was awarded $500,000 in damages from Dr. Ingram, who uh, used to perform uh, there in Bethesda, Maryland, at the Hospital of Anesthesia. And, and now she's, um, I think, seeking you know, employment in Florida, according to the report. Also, they say in Belgium, uh, doctors there are uh, being tried left and right for euthanizing their patients without consent. Uh, apparently, this was a report published in the Journal of Medical Ethics. Um, death rate in Belgium found to be a shocking 1.7% of all the deaths in 2013 that um, were really life-ending drugs that were used without the intention or request of the patient. Oh, boy. So uh, doctors in Belgium, you know, just deciding, okay, enough with you. Take this. Don't call me in the morning. Sorry, but that's pretty much how it is. Last but not least in the quack report, let's see. Um, they say your pills 
whatever pills you're popping may make you angry. I'm angry. I'm mad. You know, and you might not even know you're being more aggressive, especially if you're female. Uh, Mood-altering side effects of medicines. Wow. Uh, Yeah, popping that pill may be easy, but it may be risky as well. Uh, Some medicines can actually uh, tick up your aggression, even suicidal, homicidal thoughts. Uh, Some drugs, uh, you know, include uh, those high cholesterol drugs or asthma drugs, acne drugs can do that, apparently, according to the report. Researchers are saying a lot of statin drugs can make women violent. Oh, yeah, little understood about what's going on. Researchers are, are, are looking at statin drugs that tend to lower cholesterol in patients to and to prevent heart problems, according to the report. But um, they said, uh, you know, a lot of Britons, 7 million Britons are on these types of drugs, and people are just really angry and aggressive. Um, and the side effects of a lot of these drugs that do that are include headaches, muscle and joint pain. Um, they did a study on 1,000 people at the University of California, and there was this link between the statin drugs and aggression, especially in postmenopausal women over the age of 45. So, um, so it's a curiosity. People, they don't know why women get aggressive when they take those, those drugs, especially when they, their average woman's more placid. You know, she's not aggressive. She's uh, not going to do that. But, you know, she'll beat you up. You <laughs> statin drug, look out. Uh, so aggression between the statin drugs and uh, what's going on, 10-year study. Uh, Italian researchers did this one. And they also mentioned the National Health Services of England. Um, apparently, all this information is missing off that webpage over, called the, H, uh, the NHS website, Health Services of England there. Um, but anyway, just, you know, FYI up there, uh, reports from the FDA, um, you know, doctors aren't being made aware of statin drugs like Lipitor and some others causing this type of behavior problem. So uh, your American doctor is not going to warn you, apparently, according to this report. Uh, these drugs contain also synthetic esterol hormone. Ooh, going to mess with the hormone levels, eh? Um, Journal of the Neuroscience reported that a study out of the University of College of London said that the dopamine can make people more likely to uh, even risk money, high stake, you know, they become, all of a sudden overnight I'm a high stake gambler, let's go to Vegas. Really? On this drug? Gamble away your life savings? That's crazy. Well, that's just another example of, you know, the risk you take when you take a pharmaceutical, do your homework out there. And seek your options and be well. And that wraps the quack report. Thank you, Frank. Were you going to run that ad? I don't trust Dr. Run it. I want to hear that. If you got it, pull it up. We'll, walk. we'll listen to it. It's kind of cute. No? Yes? Guess he lost it. Right. I don't trust anyone wearing a mask. Robbers, cattle rustlers, or doctors. I listen to Herb Talk Live. Oh, me too. <laughs> I listen to Herb. Okay, we're going to talk about brains. Our noodles, the gray matter, you know, the thing that, that the lump that sits on top of our necks. <laughs> uh, there's this old saying that uh, some believe. 
well, you know, some believe this, but is it a myth? I think it is. It's a myth. We only use 10% of our brain capacity. You've heard that. I know you have. Um, so is this true or is this a myth? Uh, why, would it, why would that be true? Think about this. It would be like, you know, having two arms and two legs and using just one of them. Um, well, at the risk of sounding like Spock, it doesn't seem logical. Okay, so since our creator is not the author of confusion, let's find out how much of our brains we do use according to research and how we can protect it. Yeah. All right. Some things you don't want to give a second thought. And our brain is an amazing organ. We really don't have to think about breathing, blinking our eyes, or swallowing if we don't want to because these functions are pretty automatic. Brain takes care of that. So how much space does the brain need to perform all of these functions and more? Well, we don't give many of these functions a second thought, do we? And I would think that the brain would use more than 10% just to carry out the millions of functions for us. So I would think that uh, the section of, that houses the instinct alone, the instincts we have, would be enormous. So apparently it's uh, an organ of the human body that still largely remains a mystery to medical science. Well, if only we could, you know, we would, right? Scientific research has uh, for decades speculated that if man could use the unused portions of his brain, that he could do infinite math problems in his head faster than a computer. Or he could manifest telekinesic powers and read other people's minds. Well, has anyone really stopped to think just how disturbing that could be? I mean, what would you do if you're sitting on the subway next to someone and you could read their thoughts? Not a problem, I guess, if that person is composing a mental bucket list or making a mental note to walk the dog and take out the trash before going to bed. You know, it's the criminally insane thoughts that would you'd wrestle with. You know, someone's planning to commit a crime or possibly hurt someone. What would you do with that disturbing information? You know, talk about it, he said, she said, because how would you prove the person was planning a future crime? Well, perhaps the privacy of our own thoughts is protected by divine providence. You know, the policing of our thoughts is for God alone, okay? Well, let's talk about this mega myth, though. So how did the belief that we only use 10% of our brains happen? Who suggested that we walk around with 90% vacancy upstairs? Uh, well, more importantly, why did people believe that? Well, according to Dr. Barry Gordon, he's a neurologist at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, he says the myth took root because he thinks people tend to be concerned with their own shortcomings. And who wouldn't like to think that they could activate the rest of their unused brain and they could, you know, rattle off the numbers of pi or learn a new language in just a few minutes? Well, Dr. Gordon reports that there is really no one person to blame for this myth. However, he does allude to some interesting candidates, such as author William James, who wrote that humans use only a small part of their brains and also he resources um, uh, Albert Einstein, who may have made a comparison to highlight his own intellect. 
However, Dr. Gordon does state that the myth may allude to when the brain powers down and we're at rest, which, you know, is a time that he says we use less of our brain. But most of the time, we're going to use our most of our brain's capacity when we're, uh, you know, alive, on deck, awake. We're going to be using it. Um, here's Dr. Barry Gordon's uh, statement. He says, put another way, the brain represents 3% of the body's weight and uses 20% of the body's energy. Hmm, doesn't sound like a 10% thing to me. Well, let's talk about the brain's – the brain has muscle pretty much, you know, because the brain oversees many of the bodily functions, including you know, your thinking, your movement, your coordination and balance the involuntary functions like breathing, for instance. So the brain is the power pack that deploys the firing of millions of neurons, and this eats up most of the energy the brain uses. Now, scientists think the rest of the brain oversees our conscious and unconscious activities like heart rate, for instance. Well, let's talk about the pictures of the brain, you know, Scientific medicine has been studying the brain's functions. They've been used in some imaging studies like MRI. And what they have learned is that depending on the stimuli, there are certain sections of the brain that will fire up the neurons and generates this electrical impulse and heat, and it lights up the section on the brain, and there it is on the scan. So doctors believe that our brains are working at 100% most of the time. And according to neurologist John Henley at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, even during your sleep, we are thinking. We have the self-awareness in which, you know, several areas of the brain are still working. Hmm. All right, let's talk about any intracranial vacancy then. Let's just, let's just check this out, you know, because intracranial vacancy could mean that maybe due to trauma or birth defects, there are parts of the brain missing. So this doesn't mean that the person is brain dead. According to Dr. Henley, he says such people can live normal lives due to the complexity of the brain is able to compensate. So brain surgeons will purposely avoid what are called brain clusters to preserve as many functions of the brain as possible. So brain clusters tend to house functions like vision, hearing, and movement. And here's an interesting find, okay? Uh, research has discovered that the uh, brain has options. In other words, there really is no one clear region of the brain that is assigned to consciousness. You know, that part of the brain people feel is connected to God, the creator, your conscience. So there is really no brain cluster for conscience, and it can be wherever there is a collection of neurons. Kind of just floats around in the noodle up there. Kind of neat. Science reports that a mere 10% of the brain is made up of neurons, and the remaining 90% is um, glial cells, which are designed to support the neurons. So other than that, you know, medical science really doesn't know much more the function of these cells. They haven't gotten further than that. Now, Robin Boyd, who's a journalist for Scientific America, says it's not that we use 10% of our brains merely, that we're only able to understand about 10% of how it functions. That's probably pretty accurate, actually.
Well, let's look at some brain tidbits. You know, I love these kind of things, these little anecdotal things about what they have found here and there. Uh, scientists tell us our brains weigh about three pounds, and it's made up of 75% water. Our brain's gray matter is the area that contains about 100 billion neurons. The white matter of the brain is where all the dendrites and axons are, and this is the network that carries the neuron signals. So there are approximately 1,000 to 10,000 synapses per neuron, and everyone is considered a fathead since the brain is made up of 60% fat. So the brain is this organ of the body that feels no pain because there really aren't any pain receptors there. So you're probably wondering, well, okay, well, how do I experience a headache then if there's no pain receptors in the brain? Well, according to science and neurologists, they say the pain is from the pressure that the skull muscles and the skin sense, as well as pressure in the sinus cavities and neck muscles. So the pain signals travel on nerves called nociceptors from these areas to your brain, and then your brain feels it. So for this reason, this is how uh, brain surgeons can really operate on patients while awake without really causing any pain. You ever wondered about that? I did. Now I know. There's no pain receptors in the brain. Now our brains can live about mm, six minutes without oxygen before they start to die. And according to studies involving New York children who ate lunch devoid of artificial ingredients and preservatives, they increased their IQ by 14%. Okay, so remember that, blood-brain barriers coming up. Artificial ingredients and preservatives seem to lower your IQ. Okay, a 2003 study in Discover Magazine reported that if we eat fish once a week, we can reduce our risk of dementia by 30%. And if you ever wondered why you can't tickle yourself, well, it's because your brain knows the difference between unexpected touching and your own touch. So when your ears ring occasionally and you thought it was your ear tuning itself, you know, it's a tune-up, it's actually your brain during doing the sound check. Your brain's doing that. So if you, um, you know, fight with your spouse over the thermostat in the winter months, it's because those that feel the cold more have uh, more of a sensitive channel that sends cold signals to the brain. And get this. When you laugh, it requires five different areas of the brain to work. Ah, well, that explains a lot why some people have no sense of humor. Hmm. So the average number of thoughts that you're going to experience in a day, are you ready? It's around 70,000. Wow. Okay, let's talk about some of the food for the brain. We want to keep it healthy. We want to keep it running, humming. You know, the power's on, the lights are on, okay, So the human brain pretty much made up of a lot of nervous system elements, and the nervous system needs natural vitamin B. So the brain also needs plenty of water to stay hydrated, probably why when you go out in a drinking binge, you dehydrate yourself and you got to hang over, your head hurts. So the brain needs proper, proper circulation and natural cholesterol to work properly. So what the brain doesn't need is lots of caffeine or alcohol, to dehydrate it, and um, it doesn't need prescriptions or over-the-counter medications that can make it toxic. And here we are with the blood-brain barrier because it tries to protect the brain from toxins and foreign substances. However, 
this barrier can be compromised when we are exposed to radiation, infection, microwaves, trauma, inflammation like encephalitis, and by the way, vaccines can do that, and drug toxicity and poisons in the blood and even high blood pressure can erode that protective barrier. Now, cholesterol drugs will also affect the cholesterol the brain needs to stay healthy and avoid memory problems or even emotional mood problems, according to the report during the quack report there. So there are herbs that can help us protect our brain and stay healthy and avoid memory problems. Yep, yep. So the herbs that help you do that um, going to offer you some options so you can avoid a lot of those drugs that can corrupt the blood-brain barrier. So if you want some natural whole food, vitamin B, you want to check out Body Foundation Food Mix at Apothecary Herbs. They also have a liquid brain concentrate formula, helps you with circulation and memory. Their heart formula can also be a solution to those cardiovascular drugs that can mess you up. And they do have a pain anti-inflammatory liquid, which would be a natural option to aspirin and other pain medications that can really uh, breach the blood-brain barrier and also mess up your kidneys. So give Apothecary Herbs a call. They have a toll-free number. You can re- request a free product catalog or you can order over the phone. The number is 866-229-3663, uh, Their uh, international number, 704 704- Eight eight five zero two seven 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 zero four eight eight five zero two seven seven, or you can order online on their site at thepowerherbs.com. Thepowerherbs.com. You can get there typing in herbtalklive.com, but that's where your healthcare options just became endless. So you've got options there. You can protect your brain, your memory. Um, you know, keep your sanity. You don't have to punch anybody's lights out being aggressive while you're taking prescriptions. Um, you got options there. Protect the brain. It's all good, right? Absolutely. All right, we got a few minutes, just a few, but um, we're going to be talking about strokes since we're on the brain topic. We might as well. And um, hopefully we get, we get uh, time to talk about some of our other topics we have here. But... Um, Life's short, you know, so we, we got to do uh, the most. You know, it's really easy to pop a pill, but the risk is there. We just don't know long-term what it's going to do, short-term what it's going to do. And now lately, a lot of these um, prescription drugs are getting new warning labels that regardless of uh, long-term, you sh- the FDA may be reevaluating some drugs that you can't, can't use them more than a few days and not expect to get those types of risks. So, Gosh, you know, that's kind of scary. I think it is. I think it is. I think, you know, God's herbs are the best-kept secret. I really do. And why would that be? Well, let me tell you, I was, um, I meant to get this for Frank as a clip. Maybe we can do it another day. But um, I was watching, um, what was it, Big Bang Theory, I think that is, on the TV. It was a rerun, I think. I was I was doing some research, reading a book, and it was just on the background. It's noise. And they look up, and they're at the Cheesecake Factory. I think that's where the Penny works at. And they're all there, and in comes um, two of the characters. They're married. One's a blonde chick, but they both are scientists. And um, they ask her why she was late, and she said that they were in a breakthrough discovery 
about how they could take an animal virus and jump the gap to make it a human virus. And everybody at the table say, why would you want to do that? Her response, now get this, her response was, we have a saying in the pharmaceutical industry, mo infection, mo money. Did you get that? They working it into comedies now? In your face truth, for sure. But uh, keep that in mind. It's not funny. It isn't funny. No, so we're going to have to do more than ever before to be healthy. And I think my engineer wants to take a break. So I guess we will. We'll be right back. life into the original medicine herbalist wendy wilson will be right back as men get older they are subject to hormone imbalance and when this happens men can experience osteoporosis memory loss irritability blood sugar imbalance weight gain enlarged prostate erectile dysfunction and risk of stroke the human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. 007, your assignment is to find out what herb secrets herbalist Wendy Wilson has on Herb Talk Live. thought thyme herb provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it thins nerves right and me. stops spasmodic you coughing. Really, you sound so you like can a, get some you, rest. You know, Who said you don't, don't have time uh, to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll Same free thing. You for were very skinny. I can barely to sink you out, and, and I'm like, uh-oh. And what I did is I, I took the computer off the router and hooked it directly. And then you called me up, and it seemed to international it, but I don't know what's going on. I've had some issues. Okay, I've had or online at thepowerherbs.com. I could, like, yesterday I could find... 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the3w.thepowerherbs.com. Wendy Wilson, and we're going to talk about strokes. Yeah, we can plan against those things, you know. We can try to sidestep that landmine. Uh, we've talked about, you know, uh, sidestepping diseases like this before. Um, you know, we, we can beef up our defenses. So we're going to take a look at some nutritional information, um, which science and modern medicine has actually revealed to help prevent or even, you know, reverse strokes that um, – um, and you don't become a death st- statistic. We have 150,000 people that die every year from a stroke. So what science is saying is vitamin A is important because of the antioxidants. They believe it's the um, anti-stroke type of nutrient. Um, it blocks the formation of plaque and clots in your arteries. So a study out of Belgium and the University of Brussels found that beta-carotene, natural vitamin A, get this, it's in whole food sources, in your bloodstream protects the body from death or disability should you have a stroke. So the study looked at 80 patients who had suffered a stroke and who had increased levels of vitamin A and beta-carotene. And what they found is that these patients had less neurological damage, they were more apt to make a full recovery, 
and they were less likely to die. So the Belgian team of scientists wanted to know why this was the result. So they think what happened is that the beta carotene in your vitamin, your vitamin A in your foods uh, block on many different levels the damage which can occur to nerves and brain cells when there is oxygen depletion from a stroke. So when you eat foods that are rich in beta carotene, it actually converts in the body to vitamin A. So the synthetic vitamin A not going to do you a whole heap of good there. So get your whole food stuff going. And um, you want dark green leafy vegetables, too, they said, like spinach and collard greens and kale. And your fruits with the yellow-orange pigments like cantaloupe, mango, and apricots going to have your natural beta-carotene converts to natural vitamin A. And by the way, the uh, folks at Apothecary Herbs have vitamin food lists that they send out free by mail or email. You can request those, and if you need, you know, vitamin A, you can look up that list and see what you can beef up the diet with. All right, and the other thing that they noticed is um, you don't want to drop your potassium. A group of researchers in California found that a slight adjustment in the nutrient potassium offers more protection, about 40% protection against a stroke. So there were about 900 participants in this study, and the research was, pretty precise that the researchers were able to pinpoint which patient which patients would become a victim of a stroke 12 years later. So apparently if women skimp on getting their potassium, they have twice the risk of a stroke that men do. And one serving of fruits or vegetables will offer 400 milligrams of potassium and reduce your risk of stroke by 40%. So the researchers reported that the members who were consuming 3,500 milligrams of potassium each day did not suffer stroke at all. So if the potassium dropped to 1,950 milligrams per day, the risk of having a fatal stroke went up. And some of the foods that they used in the study were a quarter of a cantaloupe, a half an avocado, a baked potato, 10, 10 dried apricots, a tin of sardines, and a half a cup of baked beans. So according to Dr. Lewis Tobian, Jr. of the University of Minnesota, who also is a hypertension expert, he says that potassium can prevent a stroke by directly lowering blood pressure. So Dr. Tobian thinks that potassium helps to keep the artery walls flexible, protects the blood vessel walls from high-pressure damage. So again, they're mentioning foods here. Nutrients in your foods, your whole food nutrients. I love that. All right, now they, they also want to cover the uh, improved brain function, uh, circulation. Uh, Dutch researchers discovered that certain foods improve your circulation to your brain. Apparently, omega-3 fatty acids that you find in fish like salmon can help prevent a stroke or minimize neurological damage from a stroke. So the study reported that in their test group of men over the age of 60 who ate fish once a week cut their risk of having stroke in half for the next 15 years. And the same conclusion came out of a study in Japan where fish is ate on a regular basis. It's a staple in their diet. They noticed that those living in fishing villages had 40% fewer strokes than those who lived inland on the farms. So the fishing villages... Um, the, the villagers there, they ate about nine ounces of fish each day compared to the farmer 
who ate about three ounces of fish per day. Researchers concluded that omega fatty acids, the omega-3s, can modify blood plasma, making it more clot-resistant and decreases the likelihood of a cerebral or ischemic stroke. And you may wonder if you can accomplish the same result using fish oil supplements. Well, according to Dr. William Lands of the University of Illinois, he tested that theory using animals. And he found that the animals, when they had the fish oil, had less brain damage from stroke. Apparently, the fish oil can penetrate the capillaries and the cells that are stiff with plaque and make them more flexible, which can, you know, counter the narrowing effect of the veins. Therefore, if you have deformed blood cells and clots, they're able to squeeze through and um, unrestricted and allow oxygen delivery to the heart and brain. So Dr. Lands also states that eating saturated animal fat makes the cell membranes more rigid. Ooh. Okay, so what about um, alcohol and stuff like that? Well, there's a lot to be said about being a teetotaler. More research in recent years has discovered that antioxidants in your tea can help protect us from stroke. So a four-year study out of Japan and uh, Tohoku University involved 6,000 women over the age of 40, and they drank five cups of green tea each day, and they cut their risk of stroke in half. So the results are held true if the participants had high salt intake. Apparently, green tea decreases blood pressure. Also, uh, British researchers compared light to moderate alcohol consumption to see if it provided any protection from stroke. They found that one or two drinks per day did not push us at more risk than non-drinkers. However, heavy drinkers, three to four drinks per day, were three times more likely to have a stroke than non-drinkers. So that two-drink rule applies there. Another study out of Helsinki University said that heavy drinkers were six times more likely to have a stroke. So they uh, concluded alcohol in large amounts makes the brain tissue toxic, constricts the blood vessels, and promotes the likelihood of a clot, brain embolism, or ischemic stroke. Well, I mean, you know, the brain has 75% of its weight in water, so dehydrating alcohol, you know, going to have an impact, apparently. All right, let's talk about um, what they found in an anti-stroke diet. Ooh, a diet to help you pr- avoid this stroke problem. Um, well, they added up all the diets in the world, um, all the health benefits that come from such a, uh, these pretty good diets all over in different cultures. And the diet will contain, obviously, fruits, vegetables, uh, high in antioxidants and potassium, of course, natural vitamin A foods, natural vitamin C and E foods, like lots of nuts, beans, and grains, And the diet will also include the omega-3 fatty acids that you get in fish. So this diet is really similar to the Mediterranean diet, which has been said to have lots of health benefits. So the anti-stroke diet cuts the risk of fatal stroke by 40%, according to Gene Carper, who is uh, um, noted in the Food Your Miracle Medicine book. So you can check that out. So um, lots of things you do, cantaloupe, apricots, sweet potatoes, fresh beets, 
meats, uh, roasted soybeans, hopefully non-GMO, um, you know, acorn squash, uh, blackstrap molasses, if you need a little bit of a sweetener, lots of vitamin B in that, and um, swordfish or salmon. You, you, you could just, you know, take your pick. Lots of bookstores have the Mediterranean diet on the shelves. Go get one and uh, save yourself a lot of headaches. All right. Now there are some herbs we can use. Of course, there are. This is Herb Talk Live, for heaven's sake. We're going to talk about that. Obviously, the lifestyle that you're on is your biggest ally, right? You, if you've got to change it, change it to avoid stroke. But it's going to be your biggest ally, your biggest tool to maintaining good health. Um, if you want to add some supplements, you can. You can use that in short term to speed your recovery or to strengthen you in a weak area. Uh, you want to make sure that any sources you use, preferably are whole food and not chemical derivatives or synthetics. And you want to make sure that, you know, you look at sources that have that potassium in them. Now, if you're on the uh, Power Herbs website, they have lots of great herbal formulas that help you out. For instance, the all-in-one uh, liquid tonic uh, that apothecary herbs make uh, has lovely potassium, magnesium, um, and other minerals the cardiovascular system really needs, and that's all in one jar there. So check that out. It's really good. You can use it every day if you want. Um, you can use it just in the winter months. A lot of people do keep the bugs and flu bugs away. But it has a lot of uses. It's very broad spectrum. So that's called the all-in-one. They also have the um, Celtic sea salt that will not create hypertension, so you can check that out online. And uh, they do have the heart cholesterol formulas, the circulation formulas. They have a heart attack pack, the Hawthorne berries for more flavonoids to you know, make that heart muscle really strong. So you've got lots of things to choose from there in their cardiovascular section. If you don't have Internet, you can't go to thepowerherbs.com to check that out. You can definitely uh, call Apothecary Herbs and ask for a free catalog. They'll send that to you in the mail. And the number to call is 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277, 704-885-0277. And by the way, they have some new herb coupons up on their website you can check out. And if you don't have the Internet and you want to call in an order, you can ask whoever you're talking with to please provide or apply any coupon that would um, work for your order there. So you can check that out on the PowerHerbs.com website. You would click that green button in the top left-hand corner that said Herb Coupons and Save. There you go. All right. Um, we're going to talk about frailty. How frail are you? I mean, you know, that word frail you know, when I was growing up, that meant old people, right? But old, you can be frail and not be old, right? Yeah. So what is your level of frailty? This is a question scientists actually have been asking. They're looking uh, for the human condition that is the weakest link and see how that translates into longevity. Probably going to be used by a health insurance industry, life insurance industry as well when they figure that out. But it looks like science wants to know when you're going to really check out, okay? So can you imagine if they were to proclaim that they've discovered a way to determine how much time you have left to live even if you are not ill and uh, what that would mean, not only to you personally, but to society? 
that'd be kind of scary. Well, life insurance and health insurance obviously would be involved. Uh, they want to know who's going to be checking out. Uh, and also, um, you know, science wants to see, you know, how accurate or inaccurate they are when they zero in on these types of statistics and predictions, you know, life expectancy ratios. Now, the checks and balances in something like this may seem to have, you know, their own frailty built in. Federal health regulators are probably moving forward with uh, engineering, um, uh, removing defective engineered DNA cells from moms, replacing them with someone else's DNA. We've heard about that. You know, uh, it's all to prevent birth defects. Well, you're you're just engineering a race, aren't you? Well, we have to ask where all this modification of creation is going to end up. Um, I don't think there's any line in the sand these people won't cross. So we may have some devastating fallout from all this experimentation. So we're going to check it out. Let's look at biomarkers. You know, science always look at these. They claim that within a five-year window, they'll be able to tell a healthy person when they can expect to die. So can you imagine the psychological impact that would have on someone? You know, this kind of scientific knowledge, you know, do they care about the emotions that they're going to create in people? You know, um, that's kind of things that... If somebody went into your doctor's office just to get an okay so they can go back to work, and the doctor says, oh, by the way, we ran your biomarkers, and, um, you know, you got about five years to live. Yeah, that guy's immune system just went into the toilet. Seriously. Talk about stress. So the experts are saying that our longevity can be predicted by four blood biomarkers. So what are they? Well, these are biological molecules that are in our blood. They're in our body fluids. They're in our tissue. And scientists think that they can see the signal there uh, of disease. So according to this research, this is coming out of Finland, by the way, a blood test can, they say, indicate when someone could die from an illness in the future. But notice the word could. So these four biomarkers seem to score uh, a body's level of frailty. And scientists have called this the death test. Isn't that sweet? Aren't they so sweet to call it that? Apparently, they look at the biomarkers to see if they are maybe out of sync, out of kilter. And if they are, they take a closer look, see what level of demise is magnified by five times. And then scientists report these biomarkers. And they can indicate, they say, uh, which way a person may lean in the future, um, and the disease they may die from, such as, you know, heart disease, cancer, and so forth. So according to Dr. Johannes Kettenen of the Institute of Molecule Medicine in Finland, your biomarkers are now a medical crystal ball. Isn't that like, uh, I don't know, it's like back to the future, Um Anyway, Dr. Johannes Kittenen, he says this, we believe that in the future these measures can be used to identify people who appear healthy but in fact are seriously ill, have an underlying illness ready to just explode, um, and they want to guide them to proper treatment. 
So they want to treat you for a disease that hasn't yet manifested with toxic drugs that, oh, long-term, are known to make the disease worse. It's just going to heighten the demise, I think. So science thinks that they can tell people, hey, look, your blood work says that you are a prime candidate for bypass surgery somewhere in the future. So why not take these heart drugs now so you can avoid that? (laughs) So the people who don't do their homework might go ahead and say, oh, yeah, let me have those heart medicines. Let me strengthen this weak area of my heart, my cardiovascular system, and, provo- and pre- prevent the heart disease. But little do they know, these drugs promote the heart disease. So when they eventually do have heart failure, doctors can say, hey, we predicted this. We were right. Now, the same thing can be said for cholesterol meds and other drugs. So what if doctors tell young women that they're going to have breast cancer in the future, so why not do something about it now, whether it be surgery or some sort of drug, to avoid it? Has anyone considered the cost of treatments when there is really no symptoms of an official illness? Insurance companies aren't going to approve a treatment, right? I don't know. Latest version of Obamacare hasn't rolled off the press. Maybe they will. Hmm. So what science can do? Well, up until now, we're told that really there's been no tests that can really indicate when a person may become ill with a disease. But the biomarker science is being used, it's being refined to indicate everybody's level of frailty. However, now researchers in Finland are stating that they have found four important biomarkers that will reveal a person's future health risk. And most folks would agree that, you know, diet can pretty much dictate a lot that's going to happen to you down the road, you know, junk food eater, fast food, that kind of thing. So let's say a person is um, marked by medicine to die from a specific disease. And let's say it's uh, hypothetically the person does really not know uh, about this. Maybe they, they, they they didn't see it in their chart anywhere. It wasn't something that was mentioned to them for whatever reason. So they don't know. Medicine has, you know, marked in their record, hey, John Doe here is going to die from XYZ disease in the future. So he doesn't know. So he goes home and he goes, you know what? I just saw this really great show on cable, and I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to really rehaul my entire lifestyle. And he does. Right? He gets regular exercise. He drinks more water. He avoids excessive alcohol. He doesn't smoke. And maybe he, you know, eats the Mediterranean diet. Okay? So, guess what happens? His biomarkers get reversed or rebalanced, if you will. No more future disease. Now, here's the question hypothetically. Will that person's medical record be corrected when he goes again, has a blood test, and his biomarkers say, you know, hey, you know, or will he just have a real problem in the future getting insurance, you know, health insurance, medical insurance at a decent rate, and so forth? So these and other ethical questions really need to be addressed before this bio, you know, marker research and and tests really, you know, become widespread and used on a regular basis. 
Now, so uh, there are some four, they call them the mighty four biomarkers out of hundreds of biomarkers that science actually uses and assesses. According to Finland research, um, they check your albumin, your alpha-1, your acid glycoprotein, and your citrate um, and your low-density lipoprotein particles. So we're also told that uh, these are linked to liver and kidney functions, inflammation, immune system infections, metabolism, energy, and vascular system. So we should point out that researchers in Estonia were skeptical about this research and these new studies that were done supposedly, you know, had the same findings. So now the science and Dr. Marcus Pirola of the Institute of Health and Welfare, they're claiming they can predict mortality independent of disease. So do you suppose that science will soon, you know, um, metal doctors will be saying that nearly everyone is sick and under the development of some future disease and they need treating right now? Don't know what it is, but we think we can predict it with, I don't know, 70, 80, 90% certainty. Well, a lot of these, a lot of these tests, medicine never tells you that a lot of their tests have a 20% error margin. So let's say you're a high school, you're in high school, or you're, maybe you're a college student. You're trying out for football, track, or some other sport, the swim team. Well, got to check your biomarkers. And guess what? They're indicating that at some point in the future, you may have a heart attack. Hmm. So do you think government-run schools or colleges will take the liability and allow you to play on the team, play that sport, exert your apparently frail heart? I highly doubt it, unless they made you pay a high premium for life insurance, some sort of, you know, liability. So, but there is good news, and that is that if people are given the death test, um, can instead of taking toxic drugs or invasive surgery, they can change their course, their lifestyle, reverse that frailty. They have that power right now. Right? So I always say cleanse and nourish the body, and you got most internal medicine issues whooped. Not really hard. It's not rocket science. It's God's good herbs, and he says they're here for the service of man, and you know what? I believe that. So if you're interested in learning how you can remove toxins, pharmaceutical residues, heavy metals, all those things you shouldn't be holding on, call the folks that are experts. Call Apothecary Herbs. They have immune-boosting and organ-cleansing products. They'll put the tools and information in your hands to make you successful and powerful. I'm out of time. Give them a call, 866-229-3663, or visit them online, thepowerherbs.com. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease. Seek medical advice from a licensed medical physician if you dare before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
friends, good evening and welcome to the Covenanters Call. This is Pastor Mike Hoover, and we are broadcasting live from hot and sultry southern Indiana, and we welcome you to the program this evening. We are a Bible call-in question and answer program. If you've got a question or comment that you'd like to bring to our attention, just give us a call here at American Voice Radio. That call-in number is a free one, and that number is 800 932 1980 800 932-1980, and uh, we would welcome your phone calls. We encourage you to come into the chat room. Just a few of us in there this evening, uh, but it is a free service, and we encourage you to come in. Um, I'm going to apologize right up front. been having trouble again with my server, so if uh, you lose me this evening, it is not the fault of American Voice Radio. We'll try our best to keep this thing going and try to stay on the air as long as we possibly can. I want to thank my son-in-law, Pastor Anthony Grissy, for filling in for us last week. Uh, my son, Pastor Keith Hoover, and I uh, had run down to southern Virginia and Grayson County, and we're doing some uh, genealogy studies, and uh, we were able to stand in the pulpit of my great-great-grandfather, Osley Murray. He was a Baptist preacher back in that day, and uh, uh, also, I'm sorry, not his pulpit, his son's pulpit, Sheffy Murray, who is my great-grandfather. We were able to stand in his pulpit and uh, he was a circuit riding Baptist preacher in that part of the country back around the turn of the century and a little after the Civil War. And I uh, learned a lot of things, lots of great and interesting things. Appreciate the time. But I, I appreciate Pastor Anthony filling in for me. Let me remind you this evening, uh, we'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can uh, give us a phone call. That number is 812 Six five three five five seven eight, or drop me an email, Pastor Mike at historicbaptists.net. I would encourage you to check out our church website. Uh, that's uh, historicbaptists.net, and uh, you can get some more information there. If you want to sign up, we'd be glad to let you hear uh, the preaching from the Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Pulpit, and uh, that all takes place on our website. Special hello to our friend Deborah tonight, and Deborah wants you to be paying close attention. I've got a special prayer request. I appreciate those out there that uh, God has given us that we consider to be prayer warriors, and Sister Deborah is one of those. Uh, she prays for us, and between she and I and my wife, we have uh, in recent days seen some miraculous answers to prayer, and you just never know. Some people think, well, you know, my time's up. I can't do much anymore. I can't get out and do this or that. Listen, you can pray. Praying is a tremendous blessing from God and a great tool for the people of God. I would appreciate this evening if you listeners would be praying for a man by the name of Dale Montgomery. A man by the name of Dale Montgomery. Mr. Montgomery is in his late 40s, and I had the privilege last night of going to the hospital and sharing the gospel with Mr. Montgomery. Uh, Mr. Montgomery is uh, dying from lung cancer and not expected to last much longer. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great physician and that he's in charge of those things, but from uh, all uh, 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 intensive purposes, or I guess from all uh, of the signs, it looks like Mr. Montgomery does not have long with us, and he doesn't know the Lord. So I encourage you to be praying for him, uh, pray for family that's involved, and I know that uh, he would greatly appreciate that. We're looking forward uh, in the month of September uh, to going to family camp right there in Edderville, Missouri, where Pastor Shea Carpenter is the pastor, and uh, they have a family camp down there the 22nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th of September. We have a great time in the Lord. Uh, we're planning on a bunch of our church folks going. We go down there and camp, and, and we uh, have some good preaching, 
lots of good fellowship, uh, and uh, it's just a wonderful time. I want to make you aware of that. If you happen to be in that neck of the woods, in that part of the country, the people of Faith Baptist Church uh, would welcome you down there for a great time of fellowship. So put that on your calendar, if you would, please. We've been talking about trying to answer the question, what is the genuine church? Now, you have to jump back uh, to the program before last week, where our son-in-law filled in for us. But we were answering the question, what is valid worship? What is real worship? You see, God's to be worshipped in spirit. That's his requirement for valid worship. The only person who can worship God in spirit is a saved, born-again Christian. You see, friends, God also requires that he be worshipped in truth. His word is true. Therefore, in order that worship is valid and acceptable to God, it must grow out of or ride upon or be conformed to God's Word. Now, it sounds simple, and it is, but men have made a mock of God's requirements for valid worship. They've allowed and encouraged anyone and everyone to worship, whether they are saved or not, and they have perverted God's truth, His Word, and encouraged people to worship God according to their own ideas. This happens all the time today. Some of you may have been in a church on Sunday where they worshiped God in the way that they decided. Well, at least they thought they worshiped God. Uh, God is not worshiped in any way that he defines. perfect examples of what we're talking about, all right? Number one, each American president in recent times has attended a prayer breakfast with the so-called spiritual leaders of this nation. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never attended, never been in, but I can imagine that sometime during that breakfast, someone, maybe more than one religious leader, offered a prayer. Now, no doubt a Jewish rabbi has offered prayers in the past. No doubt a Roman Catholic bishop or a cardinal has offered prayers in the past. Well, let me ask you a question. Are these prayers acceptable to God based upon what the Bible tells us? Well, no. Not if the rabbi and the cardinal are not born-again Christians. No. No. All right, folks, again, we apologize for the technical difficulty. As I said before, this is not the fault of American Voice Radio. It is my local server. 
So if you're a praying warrior, you be praying that my local server will hold out until the end of this broadcast. Now, I said number two, occasionally a president like Ronald Reagan will call for a national day of prayer. He'll request that all Americans pray on a certain day. But guess what? All Americans are not Christians. In fact, most Americans are not Christians. To whom are they to pray on these national days of prayer? Well, friend, God certainly will not hear the prayers of the multiplied millions of lost Americans as they pray at the request of the president. Lost Americans praying on those days are merely drawing nigh to God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Their dead spirits are still dead, not having been regenerated. Their prayers are as dead as a bag of hammers. The only prayer that God will hear from a lost American is, Lord God, save me, for I'm a lost, hell-bound sinner. Let me give you a third example. When he was in office, President George W. Bush Jr., who many duped Christians believed was a Christian, said more than once that he worshipped God and that the God of the Bible and Allah, that's the pagan moon God of Islam, are the same. Is this true according to God's word? Well, friends, of course it's not true. It is a lie. It militates against God's word. It is a man's word in place of God's word. Now, these prayer breakfasts and so on are not, or excuse me, are to be seen as some form of worship. They are not. They are frauds. They are vanity. They are emptiness. They're man's ideas, not God's idea of what acceptable worship is. You see, friend, God does not validate such foolishness. He disdains it. If the worship Christians engage in does not conform to and agree with and uplift the truth, God's word, then that so-called worship is vanity. It is jangling in God's ears, and he rejects it just as he rejected the vain, hypocritical worship of his people in Amos chapter 5. The principle found in Isaiah 8.20 applies well to this point. In condemning false prophets, God said, and I quote, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Listen to me, friends. There is no light, no truth in one who worships in opposition to God's word, in one who perverts God's word to justify his so-called worship. And so, valid worship is entered into Christians only. It is acceptable to God only if it is done in spirit, through the spirit, by the spirit of a regenerated person. It is acceptable to God only when it exalts and conforms to and uplifts and agrees with the truth of his word. Any other, quote, worship, end of quote, is is false, and God rejects it as vanity and hypocrisy and unworthy of his notice. Well, let's answer another question on our broadcast this evening, and that question is this. How is worship manifested? How is it made known? Well, we alluded to this last point regarding worship earlier in our study. 
That is the manifestation of worship. What physical actions or activities evidence that worship is occurring within the spirit of a worshiper? Well, there are several. Each and every one of them is made valid and condoned and approved of in God's Word. In fact, each of these examples of the manifestations of worship is commanded in God's Word. So, God declared how worship is to be seen in the lives of his people. He didn't leave it up to us to decide what worship looks like on the outside. The first evidence that worship is occurring in the Spirit is the preaching of the Word of God. Now, folks, there are plenty of preachers who do much preaching. If we determine that their preaching is not in conformity to the Word of God, then we may reject what they are doing out of hand as not being an example of true and valid worship. Contemporary examples are the ecumenical, doctrine-free, and truth-denying preaching of charlatans such as Rick Warren of the infamous Saddleback Church in California, and Robert Schuller, who's passed away, of the Crystal Cathedral in the same part of the country. No doubt these men have never tasted of the Spirit of God, so we count their preaching as vain. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, and Acts chapter 4, verses 30 through 33, describe instances where Spirit-led preaching was going on among the first Christians in Jerusalem. Let's take our Bibles and look at that for just a moment, if you would, please. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at just one verse there in particular. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Listen. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, look with me in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. These verses, as I said a moment ago, describe instances where spirit-led preaching was going on among the first Christians in Jerusalem. They were filled with the Spirit, and in worship, they preached the Word of God. Paul, as we follow him through the New Testament, was seen to be filled with the Spirit when he preached. He acknowledged it. No doubt he worshiped, was involved in worship, as he preached under the power and leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me ask you a question, friend. Can a man be involved in the act of worship as he preaches the Word of God? Well, yes, he can. In fact, if he's not worshiping God in spirit as he preaches the truth of God, then he's preaching in vain. If he desires to be spirit-filled as he preaches, then he must worship in spirit. If the spirit bears witness with our spirit, with the spirit of the one who is preaching, then the evidence of worship occurring within that one will be seen. It will be powerful. It will be convincing to those who are the hearers of the preaching. And God will do a work among the hearers, just as he did at Pentecost.
house and thereafter. In fact, all through the Bible, when his spirit-filled preachers spoke forth the word. One reason there's no revival among local churches today is that the preachers are not spirit-filled in their preaching. They don't worship while they preach. This truth is quite evident when you watch and see and listen to them preaching. Uh, some of them, I'm afraid, are lost men. A second evidence that worship is taking place in one is seen in testifying. Does your church, does your pastor specific times for the Christians to testify? Well, if not, friend, he's ignoring a vital part of his calling and his responsibility before God. Testifying, a manifestation of worship in the spirit of the one doing it. I think we're back on now. Again, I apologize for the inconsistencies this evening. There's absolutely nothing that Frank can do about it, nor is there anything I can do. So let's, let's, let's move on. Must be the devil don't want you to hear what I have to say this evening, friend. So listen very, very, very carefully. I said before we went and dropped that call, perhaps one of the greatest instances of testifying came in the book of Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was led of the Holy Spirit to testify before the wicked religious leaders in Jerusalem. His testimony resulted in his death, didn't it? Would we be willing to testify with such spirit-led boldness, even in the face of certain death? Thousands, millions of Christians have done so in the past. Do you think that Stephen's testimony was in vain? After all, he was stoned to death for giving it, yet there was one who heard his testimony, who no doubt was convicted by it. One of knows what impact there was upon Saul's heart as he reflected upon the things he heard Stephen testify to. Perhaps Stephen's testimony played a great part in Saul's, soon to become the Apostle Paul's, later conversion. Praying can be another manifestation of worship occurring in one's spirit and soul. Does your pastor... Does your church set aside special and specific times for corporate prayer? I'm not talking about praying as a corporation, but praying as a church body. Does it last longer than five or ten minutes? Well, I'm afraid this evening, friends, if you have to answer no, then your local church is failing to build up the saints in this one vital area of worship. 
If you do not enter into daily prayer, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, then your heart will be out of tune for the times when you're given opportunity to pray in church. You will not be used to build, used to build up your fellow Christians. Your church will suffer for it and will be in danger of Satan's attacks. Prayer is not only an evidence that worship is occurring, it is a weapon, an offensive weapon against Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Are we not commanded to pray without ceasing? Friends, why do we ignore God's command to pray? Evidence that worship is occurring in the lives of the people you go to church with is seen in the presence and practice of exhortation. To be moved by the Spirit, to use God's Word as encouragement and admonition and love toward others is exhortation. It builds up the church. It fights against the devil. It honors God and His Word. It is done in obedience to God's command. Yes, we are commanded to exhort one another. Uh, one example, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Have you ever read those verses? Let me ask you a question. Do they make an impact on you? Are they not important? If they are, then friend, why don't we obey them? According to God, exhorting one another will contend with the tendency we have toward unbelief and backsliding. Exhorting will do battle with the deceitfulness of sin, which we all encounter on a daily basis. If there is no exhorting going on in your church or in your life, then friend, you are being an untrue church. If there is no exhorting going on in your church, it is evidence that there is little worship occurring. You're also giving way to the devil, and you are weak before the sin which so easily besets us. You see, friends, exhortation builds up. The next evidence that worship is taking place is the presence of good works. James said, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's in James chapter 2. God says we are saved in order to do good works, works which he has already ordained for us to do. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. God, Jesus Christ, makes specific note of the works done by his churches. Read Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Several times there he says that he knows the works of this church or that church. Are we to believe that Jesus today takes note of the works being done or not being done by his churches? Now, the important thing about doing works is if they are done in, under, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. If they are done in our own flesh then they are works that are not acceptable to God. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, 
but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 15. Friends, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. I want you to stay tuned for the second half of the Covenanter's Call, because we want to finish answering the question, how worship vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. 
$149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Welcome back to the Covenanters call. Again, our apologies for all the technical difficulties. It is a problem on our end with our local server. Uh, just pray that the Lord will uh, lead me to someone that's more consistent. Uh, it seems like, and you're not going to believe this, well, most of you probably will, that the times I have the most trouble are on Tuesday nights from 8 until 9. And that's the time that we're on the air. So uh, if you know of a super-duper service in my area of Orange County, uh, Indiana, please let me know. I'd appreciate that. Uh, we would like to upgrade if at all. I'd love to get a hard line in here, and uh, just uh, uh, that that would deal with a lot of these problems. But anyway, uh, again, we appreciate you tuning in to the Covenanters call. Call in number 800-932-1980. Uh, let me take a moment here and encourage you to be a supporter of American Voice Radio. Uh, you have that option on the website. Lots of good stuff they offer there as well. We've got one of those uh, little water purifiers that you see advertised there on the website and use it uh, nearly every day. Uh, we use purified water to make our coffee. And, uh, yes, we drink that nasty coffee, but uh, not, not super regular. But uh, the water purifier does a tremendous job and uh, always good quality things offered there in the Superstore on American Voice Radio. Uh, again, let me mention uh, prayer request, Dale Montgomery. Uh, dear friend of one of our listeners, and as I said in the first part of the broadcast, had the opportunity last night uh, to give Mr. Montgomery the gospel. Uh, he is a man uh, had, with terminal cancer and not doing very well. So if you would remember to pray for him, and uh, we throw out a special ode to all of our friends there across the country. Appreciate you tuning in. Again, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. And uh, we would, uh, you give us a phone call if you like, 812-653-5578, or drop me an email, Pastor Mike, at historicbaptists.net. Our church website, www.historicbaptists.net, and some information there. Uh, you can also download and listen to the preaching from the Stamper's Creek pulpit there. And uh, just contact me, and we will give you the okay. And uh, you're more than welcome to listen to those. Anybody that needs evidence against it, against us, I'm sure you probably get it there. But uh, we would encourage you uh, to tune in. There. We're talking about the genuine church, and we're talking about how worship is manifested. You know, friends, works of gold and silver and precious stones are those that are done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, wood, hay, and stubble are works in the flesh. Works done in the power of the Holy Spirit are evidence that Christians performing those works have been worshiping God in the Spirit and in truth. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, to gain an understanding of the necessity of the power 
and presence of the Holy Spirit in the doing of good works in a Christian's life. If God the Holy Spirit's not in it, that is the work, then it's not worth doing, friend, for it will be considered as wood, hay, and stubble. It will be burned up and lost in the day that we give account and receive our rewards. But we must know that doing good works and evidence that worship has occurred in our spirit and soul is used by God to build up our fellow Christians. Now, the final evidence that worship has occurred is found in the act of singing. Did you know that we're commanded to sing just as we are commanded to preach and testify and pray and exhort and work? We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we may be able to sing spiritual songs to one another in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. The spiritual songs we're to sing to one another are for building up. They are songs which reflect the worship of God in our spirits, that we have been worshiping God in our spirits. It is possible to sing in the spirit, that is to worship God in our spirit as we sing. Now Paul noted that fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. There the last part of the verse he says this, I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. You see, friend, the understanding Paul speaks of is opposed to the heresy of singing in tongues, as so many practice today. Someone who babbles, calling that spiritual singing, is practicing a doctrine of devils. Paul requires our singing to be done so that the one singing understands what he is singing. Now, is that important? Well, friends, it must be because Paul addresses the issue in Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You see, we can only teach and admonish one another in song if we sing words understood by those to whom we sing. Furthermore, Paul says the songs we sing are to be coincident with the word of Christ. If the words of the song don't match up with the words of Christ, well, friend, then the songs are wrong and unacceptable to God. At any rate, our spiritual singing is to build up our fellow Christians. We can sing with the Spirit because God's Word says we can. Have you ever sung with your spirit? If you have, that form of worship certainly had an impact upon your soul. To sing with the Spirit is acceptable worship, valid worship before God. Many pervert this concept, of course. Each of the six attributes we do as evidence that worship has or is occurring is commanded to be done. Furthermore, they are commanded to be done with the Spirit or under the power of the Spirit. We're given examples in the Bible of these things taking place in the lives of Christians who were spirit-filled at the time. We're also to ensure that these things are grounded in God's Word and that they are emanating from our own spirit in the sense of worship. If these things are not occurring in your life or in your church in the way that they're described in the Bible, well then, friend, there's no worship going on. Is there any conviction here?
You see, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the object of our worship. Fellow Christians are the beneficiaries of our worship. True worship is validated if it occurs in agreement with God's Word. Worship, acceptable to God, must be done in spirit and in truth. Any other, quote, worship, end of quote, is fraudulent. It is pseudo-worship, which God rejects. Now let's spend some time in the last part of this broadcast talking about the third duty of a genuine church. Not a false church, but the real thing. As we've already pointed out, there are a lot of buildings out there and groups of people, religious organizations that are calling themselves church, that don't match up to what the Bible says. I want you to know that down through the years, I have drawn the ire and consternation of a number of different preachers because of some of the things I'm sharing with you. Because I have dared to state that if a church, no matter when, does not follow the guidelines of the Bible, it's not a true church. You know, people have argued with me about that. The bottom line, friend, is they're not arguing with me. They're arguing with God. The last duty of genuine churches is to jealously guard the truth and to contend for the faith. Now, there are few true churches active in the performance Okay, I think we're back up. Christian churches are not the first to fail in their responsibility to jealously guard the truth delivered into their keeping by God himself. God gave his word to his chosen people, the Jews. In Romans 3 and verse 2, the last part of the verse, the Bible says, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, before the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave his words to the Hebrew people. They were faithful to keep and guard and protect his word for many years. But in time, and especially after the rejection of the Messiah, they spurned God's word. Now today, the Old Testament, once so jealously guarded by the Jews, takes a far second place to the book of words which they worship, the Talmud. The Talmud by the way, a wicked collection of the devil's doctrines set down by his men, perverted, God-hating Jewish rabbis, is what the Jews today consider their holy book. It is a written record of their spiritual adultery, a record which God will use as evidence and justification for their judgment during the Great Tribulation. The churches of Jesus Christ were, likewise, 
given the oracles of God for safekeeping, for guarding, for preserving. They retained the Old Testament brought into the churches by the first Christians, saved, believing Jews. God gave the churches in the New Testament through the men he chose to write it. Paul noted this fact in 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Peter acknowledged the fact that God was bestowing his word and words to the churches through his men when he spoke of Paul's writings in 2 Peter 3.16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Peter reveals that even before Paul's murder at the hands of the Roman government, there were people inside the churches who were resting the scriptures written by Paul. These fraudulent Christians in the churches were perverting and changing what Paul had written in his epistles, which Peter rightly called scripture, placing them in the same category as, uh, or as the other scriptures. Old Testament and other letters written by New Testament prophets such as himself. Should we be amazed that Lucifer, Satan, the devil, would attack the freshly written down words of God so soon in his war against the young churches? Jude told us the unstable and unlearned were already there in the churches. He says they crept in unawares and immediately went about doing the devil's work in and among the churches. Still, the early churches did their duty to jealously guard and keep and protect the words of God, but not in the way that you have been taught. See, friends, most modern Christians believe that it was the Roman Catholic cult that preserved God's words, that it was the Roman Catholic cult which gave us the canon of Scripture we call the Bible today. Of course, this idea and claim is false. It is a lie perpetrated by the devil and his minions. It was the Roman Catholic cult which Lucifer, Satan, the devil used and uses to pervert the true words of God. No, the churches already had and used the full canon of the Bible long before the Roman Catholic cult got around to authorizing and authenticating the canon in the late 4th century. By that time, the complete Bible had been put together, copied, and was being used by genuine and true churches for over 150 years. I'm going to repeat that. I want that to sink in. All right? Supposedly, the Roman Catholic cult got around to authorizing and authenticating this Bible in the 4th century. But by that time, listen to me, study your history, friend. Don't be dumb as a post. By that time, the complete Bible had been put together, it had been copied, and was being used by genuine and true churches for over 150 years. Now, friends, by 120 A.D., 
approximately 30 short years after John wrote the completing book to the Bible. It had been copied and sent all over the near Middle East and Europe. It was not the Roman Catholic cult which fulfilled the charge to jealously guard and keep and preserve the Word of God. In fact, as you recall, it was that religious organization which through the centuries tried so vigorously to wipe out the Word of God, to keep it out of the hands of Christians, to burn it, to bury it forever. And friends, it's much the same today. The church at Antioch was the first in a long line of true churches to fulfill the charge and duty of the pillar and ground of the truth. From Antioch, the complete and kept word of God spread. It was taken into Europe by those genuine and true churches, which were never part of the Roman Catholic system. It was kept by them, copied by them spread abroad by them, and used of God to bring many millions to Christ. Names you may never have heard of, such as the Waldensians, the Albingians, the Paulicians, the Petrobrusians, the Novationists, the Bomogles, the Carthai, or Catharii, pardon me if I mispronounce them, and scores of unnamed others were the faithful non-Romanist groups who performed this duty. Many of them, through the centuries, were burned alive, they were hung, they were drowned, they were frozen, they were scalded, they were pinioned, they were ripped open, they were beheaded, they were strangled, they were drawn and quartered, they were flayed to death, and tortured and killed in every way and manner that evil men devise. They were murdered and slaughtered because they thought sought to be faithful to the charge that they were the genuine and true churches, the pillar and ground of the truth. And who was it that committed these atrocities against the churches of Jesus Christ? Friends, it was the devil's church, the Roman Catholic religious cult. And why am I taking the time to recount ancient history, which many of you have never heard of or even care about? Well, friends, it's because today, untrue churches aid and abet the devil in his desire to remove the word and words of God from the churches. That word, which millions gave their lives to protect and preserve, that same word is cast aside and ignored by the great number of untrue churches. The Roman Catholic religious cult, the murderer of millions of true Christians, provided the basis for the hundreds of so-called Bible versions prevalent in the churches today. Hundreds of years ago, minions of the devil, Catholic men, rested the words of God, perverting it and rewriting it. Men like Origen, Philo, Clement of Pamphilius, Eusebius, 
August 16. Among the was Mary I think we're back on. Well, the devil doesn't want this out, does he? Let me repeat some of the things I said so you get it all. In 1881, a few of these perverted manuscripts, long held in abeyance by the devil in the Roman Catholic sanctums, were used as the basis for the ungodly, quote, Bible, end of quote, created by West Scott and Hort. Since then, every new so-called English translation of the Bible has been created using the Westcott-Hort perversion as its base. The King James Bible is the preserved word and words of God in the English language. I don't have the time this evening to prove that to you. Do the research yourself. Find the truth. But churches which throw aside the King James Bible for any other English, quote, Bible, quote, are casting aside God's word for the words of the devil. They are falling in their duty. They are failing in their duty as well before God as the pillar and ground of the truth to guard, to keep, to protect and preserve his word delivered to them long ago, just as the Jews failed before them. Not only do untrue churches use perverted Bibles in the pews, they also support those who deceive them with their money, their prayers, their devotion, and their children. Untrue churches support the evil system, are you ready for this, of Bible colleges throughout the land, denying that God gave them the responsibility to train men for the work of the ministry. Untrue churches have invented and support the Bible college movement. The devil never found it so easy to make war against God's word than on the battlefield of the Bible colleges. Untrue churches play into the hands of the devil by sending their children to receive, quote, training, quote, in Bible colleges. The assumption is that a Bible college must have something to do with the Bible Hence, the denomination Bible College. Most Bible colleges denigrate the Bible, however. They refuse to acknowledge that the King James Bible is the Bible, and they use and prefer the devil's Bibles to teach their students from. This has occurred because the churches have failed to do the job God gave to them. Friends, God did not give his word to the Bible colleges. He did not call Bible colleges the pillar and ground of the truth. But the churches 
have abandoned their responsibility to be the pillar and ground of the truth and have abdicated it to the Bible colleges. The devil's men in Bible colleges quickly picked up the job of being the guardians of the truth given over to them by the churches. Then they eagerly perverted the truth and dutifully engaged in filling the heads of their students with the perversions of God's word. The pastors of untrue churches should be leading the flocks they oversee to be the pillar and ground of the truth. But since they themselves are products of the Bible college movement, they also believe that the Bible colleges and professors and teachers who work there are the new guardians of the truth. The professors and teachers in the Bible colleges put themselves forward as the experts in Bible understanding and translation and interpretation. They teach their students the perverted words of the devil, and their students take the perversions they've been taught back into the churches, onto the mission field, into the so-called Christian schools, to other Bible colleges, and to every realm of Christian activity. The devil has a heyday with Bible colleges. Friends, this is the Covenanters' call. I appreciate you tuning into the broadcast this evening. Let me remind you, we'd love to hear it from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can give us a phone call, that number, 812-653-5578. Drop us an email, Pastor Mike at historicbaptists.com. Net. Let me remind you once again to be praying for Dale Montgomery. Uh, Dale has some serious needs there, but especially be praying for Dale that he would put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may have a prayer request. You feel free to share those with me. I'll mention them on the airwaves, and uh, by the grace of God, we will remember them in our prayers. Let me encourage you to stay tuned for more good programming on American Voice Radio this evening. Uh, also, matter of fact, be praying for uh, Frank Steffen, having some physical difficulties. I know that uh, he would appreciate your prayers. But I want to encourage you to make sure you tune in to the Covenanters call next week. Lord willing, we'll continue our study on what is the genuine church. Are you going to the right place, or do you need to go somewhere else? You see, friends, that's a very, very important thing. Here are the pipes. My time's up. So we meet you get on the airwaves. May God bless us our prayer. Have a
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Alfred Addisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday, the 14th day of July, year of our Lord, 2015. As usual, I want to give my notice that I am a man made in God's image, as per Genesis 1, through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as per the Declaration of Independence. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union styled the United States of America. 
And having said that, I also have a, a lucky rabbit's foot and a four-leaf clover, so I'm good to go. Our co-host is Frank Stefan. Well, Frank, how are you doing? Oh, so-so. So-so. What's your problem, Frank? Food poisoning. Food poisoning? Yeah, stupid me. You're eating your own cooking again, huh? Yeah, exactly. I, I got in a hurry, and I didn't cook some pork enough. And boy, let me tell you, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, just don't do that. That's not a good thing. It's uh, bad, 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 very bad. But I'm here. I might not be as chipper as I normally am, but I'm here and I'm uh, I'm ready. Well, you see, you see, you don't. You need to pay closer attention to the Bible and its position on pork. That is not just that's not just pickled pig's feet you want you to keep away from. That includes pork chops and pork ribs and rest of that sort of thing. Well, and if you're not, you got to cook it. Mm. You know that whole thing. You know, and and that's funny because just uh. Oh, not long ago, a year or two ago, the uh, whoever makes the safety rules for, like, restaurants yep. said, oh, hey, guess what? You don't have to cook pork at the same higher temperature that you used to. We've decided now you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But their, their report was this, you don't have to cook it as high as you used to, but you still have to cook it higher than Frank does. Yeah, that's right. That was that was establishing the lower limit on the... Well, you um, know, you get in a hurry. You know, I was uh, I was just in a big hurry, and I just figured I'd throw this in the pan, and it just didn't work out. So I won't do that again, I can tell you. No, I imagine not. Is this, this is one problem? of those lessons that you only yeah, have to learn once. Uh-huh. Is this a problem with trichnosis? I don't know. I don't know. It's just the, uh, all I know is the symptoms, which is, uh, how do I put this gently? Both ends. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, let's see, I feel like I'm about 90 years old. Every bone in my body hurts, including my skin. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, but, you know, I'm doing things to uh, get rid of it that I think is really cutting it down and, uh, in severity and in the amount of time it's going to take to completely recover, you know, like activated charcoal, vitamin C, uh, organic sulfur, uh, yeah, apple cider vinegar, uh, things like that. And it seems to have helped, especially the activated charcoal. Well, I don't know. What does deactivated charcoal have to do with uh, undercooked pork? Well, uh, if you, you mix this up, uh, charcoal with water and you drink it and basically it acts in your stomach the same way a charcoal filter acts you know filtering water it removes it, it actually gets the uh, toxins to attach absorbs to the toxins yeah and charcoal. then you eliminate that and then you you know you're toxin free it's did you did you see a doctor about this or no. are you self-medicating self-medicated and we don't really know whether it was a, a question of undercooked pork or maybe the Budweiser flu. No, I'll tell you what. Uh, I would have traded this in for any hangover I've ever had. Mm-hmm. This was not. This was bad. This was not one of those. That and I've had bad ones of those too, but not like this. This is this is different. And uh, and you know you're right. It might have not been pork. It could have been. Uh, I, I might have undercooked the eggs, and they could have had salmonella. Who knows? Yeah, that's one of the interesting things. I, you know, I, I, I clipped something out for the afternoon program. Didn't use it yet, but 
an article that's not news exactly, but it points out that diseases are increasingly resistant to antibiotics. There are a number of diseases running around right now that we don't have an antibiotic that's going to hold them back. And if you get them, you're going to have to fight your way through it or you're going to die. And it's part of the consequence. You understand this as well as I do, maybe better, but it's part of the consequence. We give antibiotics to all the animals. We give them to the cows and the pigs and the sheep and the goats. And we overprescribe them to people. And, of course, and we wash our them. hands with them. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's how far we've got. Now we're antibacterial soap. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's a... Uh, it, from, I've read some articles about that, too, and they they seem pretty... Now, if that's if you can believe them, but they seem pretty worried about it because they're like... Yeah, they hey, have to be. Problem. It's a legitimate problem. We don't know when it's going to break loose, but it's almost inevitable that there will be one or more pandemics. Yeah. I don't know if pandemic is precisely the right term. I think pandemic may include a number of countries and across continents and so on. But we'll see some of this stuff break loose in cities where they have high population densities and low sanitation, and you will see, you know, and it could happen this fall, and it might not happen for 40 years. But we're going to see this happen. It's virtually inevitable. It's almost like the economic crash. It's just, you know, it's a matter of time. It's coming. Yeah, and it's going to happen. So one of the, what do you do about it? I'm wondering, what's your position on colloidal silver, for example? Oh, I love colloidal silver. You know, if it's made properly, there's a lot of, like, anything. You know, there's, like, a- anything. You know, there's people that just... As long as it's not undercooked, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing is, I, I mean, I've seen people say, well, hey, look, you can make it here. Throw salt in it. It makes it aggressive. And, oh, yeah, well, that's how you know when the silver's in there, when the water's gray. And, you know, people don't don't... I mean, they say this, and they call it colloidal silver, and that might be good topically. But if you can see it, it's too big to go through your cell walls. You know, so colloidal silver is small, very small. It goes into your cell walls. So, you know, like if you can see it, it, it's too big. I mean, topically, that might be great because, you know, they sell, uh, gosh, I bought some bandages with silver uh, Mm -hmm. mesh in it. Yeah. You know, and they work real well uh, topically to uh, keep infection down. But, you know, if you're going to drink it, you've got to actually uh, make sure that it is, you know, small enough to to actually do you any good. And I like colloidal silver. It's not something you want to take, you know, daily. It's not like a supplement or anything, I don't think. I don't either. I think you're taking any any metals into your body. You've got to be careful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get too much iron, and you need that sure. for your blood cells, and you can get too much iron. I'm not convinced that you want to ingest a great deal of silver into your body. No. If you I got a bit, bad I, infection or something. It's hard to do. It's hard to ingest too much of it. Right. You've got to work at it pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, but you just do. the same. You know, it's one of those things. But you have a problem. Yeah. Um, and I think I have the I am of the opinion, an uneducated opinion, but I am of the opinion that even the diseases that are immune to modern antibiotics, I don't think they're immune to to colloidal silver. I don't think they I are don't, either. We, uh, true or false, but I think that's I think it's probably true. And it's got and if it is, 
it's got to scare the poo out of the major pharmaceutical industry uh, uh, corporations because they may have to admit one of these days that their antibiotics don't work, but colloidal silver does. Yeah. And you can get it for cheap. Yeah, and garlic, what? you know, and other other things that, you know, these things are not resistant to. You know, garlic is a great thing. I mean, it's antiviral, antifungal, and antibacterial. So, you know, it's antisocial it's, also. Yeah, it is, but I don't let that bother me with uh, <laughs> garlic. But it is, it is. And, uh, you know, the thing is, I think, you know, Wendy's been on financial survival, and she's actually mentioned that, you know, if you go to the store and you get this garlic pills that don't smell like garlic, yeah. They're not going to work because that's part of the deal. You know, this is part of why it works. Well, I understand. Let's let's move on to another another topic here. I've got one from, uh, this is from Oath Keepers, their website. And the headline is, Study shows U.S. police far more concerned about anti-government domestic terrorists than al-Qaeda. U.S. law enforcement agencies rank the threat of violence from anti-government extremists higher than the threat from radicalized Muslims, this according to a report released recently from the Triangle Center on Terrorism and Homeland Security. The report, Law Enforcement Assessment of Violent Extremist Threat, was based on survey research by Charles Kurzman, professor of sociology, University of blah, 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 another associate professor. The survey conducted by the Center with the Police Executive Research Forum found that 74% of 382 law enforcement agencies rated anti-government extremism as one of the top three terrorist threats in their jurisdiction. By comparison, Right, seventy-four percent say the anti say the uh, the anti-government extremists. You got to watch out for them. Only thirty-nine percent listed extremism connected with Al Qaeda or like-minded terrorist organizations as a top three terrorist threat. Do you think that report is reasonable, rational, or is it? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, I agree that that is a bigger terroristic threat to the police than al-Qaeda is ever going to be. I understand. Just like the government's a bigger terroristic threat to me than al-Qaeda is ever going to be Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. And it goes to a fundamental point that the Founding Fathers understood very clearly when they drafted the Constitution of the United States. It's an anti-government document. Right? Most people say, that's crazy. No, it's not. That's why they gave us three branches of government, kept them separated and fighting among themselves, all of the checks and balances, the right of political free speech, right of free press. For If you see the government up to something, all right, you can report it in the press, right to keep and bear arms, keep protect yourself from a violent government. That's all. That Constitution was designed not to create a government per se, but to limit the government. And protect the people from the government. They understood that the government was then and would always be the principal enemy of the people of the United States of America. And this is not, this is, from my perspective, this is true globally. Principal enemy of the people of England is the government of England. Principal threat of the, of the people of Greece is the government of Greece. Principal threat of the former Soviet Union. The people of the former Soviet Union. Principal threat was their own government. It's always that way. Government is yep. out there telling us, oh, we're here to help you. We're here to do all these good deeds. Bunk. 
Yeah, we're and there's a boogeyman over there. Yeah, right. We're <laughs> going to protect you from the boogeyman, Al-Qaeda, which many people think the CIA created. And the cops say, we're not as afraid of Al-Qaeda as we are of the, 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 uh, the, the constitutionalists who would like to cause government to obey the constitutional law. So I, I think they're right. You know, no, I, I think they're I right, you know. And it's a recognition, it's an implied recognition of the adversarial relationship that exists between the people of this country and the government of this country. Well, you know, down it's at always the, been that way. Down it's at, always been that way, but the people have been BSed and conned and persuaded and, and seduced into thinking, oh, the government is my friend. Bunk. <laughs> Now, down at the end of this thing, or towards the end, they say, perhaps if the police didn't harbor such negative thoughts about the general public, mm-hmm. there wouldn't be as many citizens killed by police. Yep. The recent tally is up to 463 killed so far in 2015, or an average of 2.5 Americans killed by police every day. Well, they've got this attitude where they think anybody out there could be a terrorist. Yeah, I understand. And oh my gosh, he's got a comb. Just, Shoot him. Yeah, I know. It's a label that he, a terrorist. We don't deal with criminals anymore. We deal with terrorists. Right. All right. I'm not sure what the legal definition of terrorist is. I know that a criminal has to have intent. I don't know if a terrorist has to have intent or not. I suppose they do. But it is to be a terrorist as opposed to being a criminal. I mean, a terrorist strikes me as a political label. It's a political class. Yep. And anyone who's labeled that way, then what? It's open season on them? Well, because who's the terrorist and who's the patriot? Who's the freedom fighter and who's the terrorist? It That's depends which which side you're looking at. That's exactly right. But you know where you're, you, the answer to that question is, in my from my perspective? We've got a number of levels of law in this country. Number one is God's law. We're all subject to God's law. But then, God, he says, you can't do this, this, and this, and you can't do this, and you should do this, and so on. But God doesn't cover everything. Right? He didn't say anything in the Bible about how fast you can drive in a school zone. There's nothing in there, I'm pretty sure. Right? Or how how high your grass can grow. All right. There, there are a lot of things that good Lord did not specify in the Bible. And he leaves that up to us to work out for ourselves. And we start by with, we've got God's law, number one, and he gives certain rights to the people. And then the people create their law. God's law we'll find in the Bible. People's law, where do we find the people's law? In the Constitution and the other organic documents of the United States of America. Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation, Northwest Ordinance, and the Constitution. That's the people's law. Then that people's law, God first tells the people, you've got to do this. Then the people say, okay, here's the other stuff we can control. We're going we're gonna to create a government now with our organic documents. And you guys in government, these are the rules you've got to follow. You can't do this and you can't do this. That's the people's law. The government subsequently comes out with the government's law which are the statutes. And then we even get into something bizarre, which are regulations and so on, and, and uh, CFRs and the rest of this sort of thing. But I'm trying, to, I'm trying to illustrate there's a hierarchy here. And where we are bumping heads with the government is they're saying, you have to obey the government's law. That's the statutes. And the 
constitutionalists and extremists that they regard as as terrorists, we're saying, no, you in government have to obey the people's law, which is the Constitution. And the government said, oh, no, we don't. We don't have to obey the Constitution. And, and the constitutionalists are saying, oh, we don't have to obey the federal law. We don't have to obey the statutes. You don't have authority to at least the ones that violate the Constitution. We don't have to obey the ones that violate the Constitution. And so we have this simmering conflict to figure out who's the boss. Who is going to obey what laws? Are we bound to obey the federal laws if they violate the Constitution? Is the government obligated to obey the people's law, which is the Constitution? Or can they get by with just a federal law? Well, that's what I've all, you know, this is a, a problem I have with federal law. Because, you know, I mean, okay, so you'll do, I don't know, something, a murder, a shooting at a church maybe. And the local police come, and it's like, okay, well, to me, that's a that's a local issue, right? Somebody, I agree with you. Well, and then here comes the FBI, yep. and people are charged with federal crimes. It's like, wait a minute, where's the federal nexus here for this? Is it really? I mean, and because they're it? playing fast and loose as though, uh, you know, hey, you're all federal, uh, you know, serfs, and uh, we got authority everywhere. That's true. Not And not just in this country. In foreign countries. Right. They've hauled people in and arrested them down in Panama and Argentina and other parts of the world. They drag them back to the United States, often without any extradition uh, papers or, or process. They just capture them and haul them back, in part because they're deemed to be U.S. citizens, and in part, I suspect, because they are dealing with Federal Reserve notes. And it's a money deal, typically. I mean, they'll go out there. But there's a point where a reasonable government, a reasonable nation will say, look, here's our borders. And if you can get across the border into Canada or into Mexico, well, we may be able to get some extradition going and get you hauled back here where we can punish you. But on the other hand, if you're outside of our jurisdiction, maybe you're just going to turn you loose. Our government says there's no limit to that jurisdiction. Unless, of course, you're an illegal alien. Well, Then they yeah. cut you loose out of jail and send you back to wherever you came from. And, and you get to come back five or six gun. times. Give you a handgun as a special going away <laughs> present. Yeah. You, don't have a hand, you didn't have a gun of your own when we were... Well, here, take mine. You know. <laughs> um, thanks a lot. We really enjoyed you playing the game here. And, yeah. Uh, you know, stop back again. Uh, yeah. All right, well, in any case, you know, Oath Keepers, this is interesting stuff, but the idea that the government regards constitutionalists, they call them extremists, but the truth of the matter is they're just people who say, look, you guys need to obey the Constitution. And the government said, we don't have to obey the Constitution. That's extremism. Yeah. Uh, terrorists and residents are saying we have to obey the law. We get to shoot whoever we want, whenever we want wherever we want, because we are the almighty government. Well, that's we'll how see. they've gotten. And, uh, you know, again, you know, I think they're right. I think what they're saying is right. And it's it's telling and people should wake up to this and realize, wow, this really is their attitude. Yeah. And it's not irrational. The cops get it. There is an adversarial relationship here. Mm hmm. And the government understands that. They don't want people to understand. They want, oh, you people, just we're here to help you. Just keep saying that. The government is here to help me. All right? And uh, 
They want folks to believe that and accept that and have confidence in it. But the government understands that their fundamental business and the fundamental threat to government, it's not the former Soviet Union. It's not the Nazis. It's not Al-Qaeda. It's the people who live in this country. You know, I've told this story another one a number of times, but back in the 1990s, they built a new embassy, U.S. embassy in Moscow. At the same time, they were building a new uh, embassy for the Soviet Union in Washington, D.C. And the embassy in the Soviet Union was built on the highest hill in Washington, D.C., and they would have maximum opportunity to capture microwave transmissions and spy and one thing and another like that. The U.S. embassy was built in the lowest spot in Moscow practically a swamp, and they knew that the U.S. Embassy was the, the, the beams and the bricks and whatever. It was full of listening devices. Nobody cared. Huh? Wasn't a big deal. They didn't care what the Russians found out spying on, on the United States in, in Washington, D.C., and they didn't care what the Russians found out about the, whatever was going on in the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. All right? What they are concerned about is what the American people find out. The United States uses Moscow and other, you know, boogeyman du jour as an excuse to maintain top secrecy, not to protect us from foreign adversaries, but to protect the government from public finding out what it's doing in this country. And we're not alone in that. No, the no. Russians did the same thing. They don't care what the Americans find out. They just use that as an excuse to keep their own people in the dark. So, oh, my gosh, the Americans are spying on us. Oh, who cares? Nobody cares about that. They don't want the public to know what's going on. The people of the nation are the principal threat to any government in this world. And the government knows it. The people don't, at least not Generally speaking, the people are not aware of that adversarial relationship. Um, if they become aware and they start looking at the government and say, look, you guys need to start obeying the law. At that point in time, then who knows? Maybe government will admit, you know, you're right, we do. But only if enough people stand up at the same time and say, look, you've got to start obeying the law. And make it abundantly clear that this is not a request, this is a demand. No, and they may just as well say, we refuse and we're going to start killing y'all. And, uh, well, but you know, how, you know then, what are the odds? The cops are three-tenths of a percent of the population. Oh, it's not going to be a good day for them, but, you know, they could do that, you know, oh, and, know. and think, well, and they can try it. They can try it as long as everybody kind of cowers and hides and uh, hopes somebody else will do their fighting for them. It's kind of like not cooking pork well enough. You won't do that again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you will. Oh, yes, you will. People have understood about it. I don't mean you personally necessarily, mm -hmm. but, you know, those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it, and that's exactly what we see periodically. Every so often we have to reassert the idea that the government has to obey the people's law rather than the people obey the government's law. Um, primary. First, you live away. First, the people obey God's law. Then the government obeys the people's law. And who's going to obey the government's law? You know, they want somebody down there. We want you peons to obey our law. In any case, we'll do it again because we could have a successful revolution, a successful debate, a successful imposition where the government says, "My gosh, you're right. We need to start obeying the people's law." All right could happen. Okay. But how long would it be before the government said, no, we don't? 
That Constitution is just a GD piece of paper. Well, as long as, you know, I think it would take as long as the people got lazy and said, okay, we did it, we got our thing going, and they're listening, and this is great, and now we can go back to the TV, and we can go back to whatever it was we were doing. And, you know, it doesn't take very long after that to where the government goes, hey, they're not paying attention anymore. That's right. I mean, but you got to pay attention, not because you catch all of them, but you at least scare them enough where they think they might get caught, and that slows them down a little bit. Boy, but these days, does it seem that way anymore? I mean, it seems like these guys don't even care about getting caught anymore. No, it's just blatant right now where they're not concerned about anything, and I or don't appear to be. But do you think that's evidence? Again, do you think that's evidence that they are gaining power? That they have absolute control over what's going on, or is it evidence that they're desperate? And they know their power is waning, and they've only got a couple more years to go before this whole thing blows up in their face, and years at the most. Well, and that could be. I mean, I've I've read some articles out there where, you know, uh, apparently rich people, and I mean really rich people, are getting a little concerned about maybe flashing their stuff around. In the bank? Yeah. About flashing their stuff around in public, you know, they're they're gonna yeah. try to start taking a little more low profile because of this, uh, you know, disparity in uh, in wealth. Yep. And they're starting to realize that that hey, this might not be good for us. Yeah, but you know, this is another one of those situations. They're absolutely right. Long term, it won't be good for them um, any more than it was good for the French yeah. <laughs> aristocrats. Yeah. To live, you know, Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. Yeah. Oh, how'd that work out, Marie? Uh, there's a limit to how far you can push people. Well, that's true. And, you know, and that's the big question is where is that limit? Because, man, I, I, you know, on one hand, I look around and I go, well, there actually are more people now aware of more things wrong than there was. Yep. But... I don't really see anything really changing. You know, I don't see that that critical mass of, okay, enough people now, that's it, forget it, you're going to have to start doing this or else. What's Uh, enough people? I don't know. See, that's the whole thing. I don't know. Well, you know, I think back to the American Revolution and allegedly less than 5% of the, the people of the United States of America fought to against the English. Mm-hmm. The vast majority were simply kind of indifferent to the whole thing, and they, you know, they didn't want to get involved until after the war was over. I mean, they might have done a little cheering for the rebels, but uh, the point is, I think I've heard reports that it was as little as three percent that were actively involved. But actively involved meant willing to fight, right? And then, just you know, talk people... about it, willing to fight. But then again, there's also people out there that you know support those people. That are out there fighting, you know, giving them food, giving them money, giving them clothes. Yeah, 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 I get that. Well, it's one of those things if they just tolerate them, just right. stay out of the way. All right. If the cops and the government, for example, if the police represent three-tenths of a percent of the population and they're willing to fight on behalf of the government, and if there is some sort of resistance that reaches a point of 3 to 5% that they're willing to fight on behalf of what we could call constitutional principles, um, cops are outnumbered. 
Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that translates into at least 10 to 1, maybe more. Uh, you know, 3% people versus 3 tenths of a percent of of uh, the population for po- for the police. And, you know, I just read something uh, about, you know, right after this uh South Carolina shooting, you know, and Obama, of course, saying, oh, well, we got to do something about guns, right? Yeah. Well, he, he did it again. That. He says that when the toilets back up in the White House. <laughs> right. you know? But he... Whatever. We're out of shot. We're, we're out of sugar in the in the sugar bowls. We got to do something about guns. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I tell you, the gun manufacturers really ought to start giving this guy a commission because... Uh, He'll work. He's working on it. He sells a lot of guns, man. I know he does. I just, uh, I was just reading that uh, last month, a million guns got sold legally. You know month. that they're keeping track of that legally. Who knows how many? <laughs> this doesn't include Fast and Furious, then, is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, doesn't include the ones we're giving to the to the to the drug lords and whatever in Mexico. They're no. just talking about the ones that are for sale over the counter. Right. And okay. and the uh the uh you know, when I first read that I thought, well that's that's cool, but it's probably you know, it's probably people that already have one gun or two guns and they're just buying more guns. But then I read on and it turns out that the majority, like sixty percent of that one million guns sold were for new gun owners and women. So new gun owners People who never had a gun are going out buying a gun, and women are starting to buy guns. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's a, a real great thing, but I mean, you know, that's what's going on. <laughs> I, I, I understand. I understand your perspective there. And speaking on that, on that note, let me see if I can find the article. There's one here that Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> Was was involved in a traffic accident, which resulted in at least one fatality. And no one wants to make fun of, you know, some sort of an accident where somebody died. But just just out of an abundance of caution, I'm asking you, Frank, is is this accident with Caitlyn Jenner? Can this be chalked up to women drivers? <laughs> I don't know. See, this is a quandary with old Bruce it's there. It's a gray area. It's yeah, it gray. is. It's uh, it's a shame that it is, but it is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I'm wondering why uh, why he or she or it is not being charged with anything. I mean, somebody died. No, it was an accident. I'm not sure who's responsible for it. The rest of that, in fact, but it's just, you know, I've even seen a report, and this just, <laughs> I mean, this is, it just gets so goofy sometimes that you don't know what to make of it. I've seen a report just in the last day or so that Caitlyn Jenner used to be Bruce Jenner. Now he's now he's a woman, Caitlyn Jenner, or at least he thinks he's a woman. I don't know. He is in love. Oh, God. Or she is in love. And reportedly with another woman who also used to be a man. <laughs> oh, man. 
I mean, this is just too bizarre. I mean, what do you want? What do you want? If you wanted a woman, you should have kept your equipment. You understand? Gosh. On the other hand, if you want a man for... I mean, this is sort of thing where you need a real degree in psychiatry to figure this one out. Yeah, I don't know if this guy is just doing this because he just needs attention or what his problem is, man. But this is one sick, I mean, for crying out loud, he used to be on the Wheaties box. I mean, yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's got to be a collector's item. I'd like to have a couple hundred of those out in the garage. Oh, boy, I'd be having a yard sale pretty quick. Well, I don't know. I bet you I would bet that those are worth I mean, you you may I don't know if they still do the antique road show or not. Oh yeah, see, I I don't know if they still do, but I watch that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, I'm thinking those they're antiques. Those uh, those are probably antiques. And oh yeah, I think there's there's a market for them. Well, and they're at least vintage collectibles. I mean, because they're certainly collectible, you know. And people, gosh, anything collectible, it seems that people. I mean, people collect. Sewing thumbnail things, you know, you know, people collect all kinds of stuff. You know, some people are hoarders. There's a difference between a hoarder and a collector, though. Really? Uh, yeah, a hoarder just piles stuff up. Okay. And they're not too particular about what it is, and they don't pile it up with the expectation that they're going to make any money off of it. Okay, that's me. Collectors, they are. They're looking at this, and I'm saying, I think I can make some money off this old puppet from uh, Howdy Doody. Did you have a Howdy Doody puppet when I you were kid? I did not. Uh, I did not. I did. And it, it, to this day, I keep thinking I've seen it on the Antique Roadshow probably 20, 30 years ago. And I don't know what that puppet was worth. I know I had one of these Howdy Doody puppets when I was a kid. And I'm trying to think, where did I put it? Where did I put it? <laughs> ah! Sixty years ago, or whatever, yeah, looking for that puppet. I think I'm a, I'm more of a hoarder. Sorry, man. Yeah, just pile things up and you know. I understand. Someday but, I might need this. That's you know, my thing. I knew a guy back when I was in up in living living Wisconsin for a while. This is at least thirty years ago, maybe forty. I don't remember. Probably thirty five, forty years ago, something like that. His dad had been. He had. He was in charge of the biggest architectural firm. He owned and operated the biggest architectural firm in Boston. And there was, and Sir Percival Lowell and his and his wife owned a three-story mansion in Boston in one of the most exclusive sections. I think it was Knob Hill. I don't remember if that if that's in Boston or not. But in any case, very exclusive. Built in the late 1800s. Had had an observatory. Uh, built on one corner of the house. I think he told me they had a dozen bathrooms in the place. Give us a notion of how big this was. <clears throat> His father used to go out and squire Sir Percival Lowell's widow around when she was in her 80s, maybe 90s. He'd take her out on picnics and one thing or another. Right? And when she died, she left that house to Charlie's dad. Huh? And it had a basement. Uh-huh. I mean, the first thing they did, I can remember the story. First thing they did is they got into the house, and with everything in it, 
and the family was crazy that she left everything to this 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 guy who ran this architectural firm, and nevertheless stuck, and he got to keep the house and everything that was in it. First thing they did is he and his wife moved in, and Charles and family and the rest of this sort of thing, and they had a baby grand player piano. Player piano, baby grand Steinway. There were only three of them made. Wow! And they had one of those in the in the living room in the mansion. And she cut some deal right away and started selling stuff. It was as if they had. You talk about being a hoarder. It was as if they had inherited a museum. And down in the basement, all right, no walls on the basement, just a hole in the ground underneath underneath the house. They stacked stuff. They had been collecting things from trips to China in the 1800s. Wow. And Charlie, the reason I found out is Charlie, he got a letter one day from his mother. Well, and uh, he says, well, got another one. And I said, what are you talking about? And he says, <clears throat> my mother was down digging in the basement. And they had piles of newspapers. And God only knows how much trash and junk was down there that had been stored from the late 1800s on up until when the lady died, probably, I don't know, 1960 or something like that. I'm not sure when they inherited the house, but in that neighborhood. Right? And they got all this stuff packed up. Mama's down there digging around in all these newspapers and finds a collection of 12 bamboo tubes that the way Charlie described it are probably about two or three inches in diameter and maybe a couple feet long, and they're all bound together in a box, 12 by 4, right? 12 tubes lined up, collected together in rectangular shape, and she finds this stuff, opens them up, the tubes are lined with velvet, and they've got a separate scroll in each one of these tubes, hmm. right? Chinese scroll. Oh, man. And she calls the local museum, and shes they know her, and she knows them because she finds stuff on a regular basis. And she says, uh, blah, 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 send somebody over here. I think I got something. They do. They send somebody over, look at these scrolls, and uh, get done with it. And they say, and she says, well, what are they worth? And, and the guy says, well, they're worth whatever you say they're worth. Uh, they haven't, we've had them cataloged. We know about them, but nobody's seen them in a century. Wow. Right? And you got them, and were worth whatever you say there. Well, this was, this is what happens when you buy a home from a hoarder. Right? They were really collectors, but hoarders also. They're cross, yeah. uh, or ex- they inherited, as a matter of fact. But in any case, it just crosses my mind. Man, that's pretty cool, though. See, I'd love yeah. to live in a place like that. Oh, I understand. Just digging around. I mean, it's just it's like. It's like inheriting a diamond mine, yeah, gold mine or something. You know, you get your you get your pick and your shovel and start digging around back there in the mine, see if you can turn up any diamonds today or not. You know, it's panning it's for gold almost. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Down stuff. in the basement. <laughs> Here's another one. We've got, matter of fact, two articles we can talk about. Where are they? There it is. Well, you've everybody's heard of the situation where. Oh, there's the headline, Defiant Sweet Cakes owners have until Monday to pay crushing $135,000 fine. After getting hit with a financially crushing $135,000 fine last week for their decision not to bake a cake for a lesbian wedding, the Christian owners of the Oregon Sweet Cakes by Melissa Bakery say they have until Monday, and this would be, uh, this was, I think, 
I think maybe it's this next Monday. Maybe it was last Monday. I'm not sure. They have until Monday to pay up or else the state of Oregon could place a lien on their home. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's a disgrace. I mean, I I don't know what people are thinking. Look, I I mean, I, I can go as far to say, all right, look, you know, I don't think people should probably throw rocks at homosexuals walking down the sidewalk. But, you know, if you all have a business and you don't want to serve somebody, why should you have to? For whatever reason. I don't like your hair. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just, whatever happened to the whole, we refuse the the right to, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. I agree. I mean, it's ridiculous. $135,000 fine for refusing to bake a cake? And it's see. And if I knew you were homosexual, I'd have baked the cake. Baked you know, the, cake. The, the bad thing about it is, and it's not like, all right, if this was the only cake baker in Oregon, yeah, and if this one wouldn't bake you a cake, no cake for you, I yeah. could see maybe then even saying, hey, look, come on, you got to bake me a cake, but. There's cake people right down the street, half a block away. If I'm not mistaken, they went and got a cake. Yep. So it wasn't like, oh, you're you're uh, damaging my rights to have cake. I can just go down the. Okay, fine. You don't want to bake the cake? I can go to the cake guy across the street and get a cake. This reminds me of Marie Antoinette again. Yeah, it does. Let them let them eat cake. We've got let them bake cake. All right, something along those lines. Uh, here's a second one, and the same theory, same theme. Christian pastor in Vermont sentenced to one year in prison after refusing to marry a gay couple. This is on NBC's website. Proctor, Vermont, a pastor at the local at the Christian Proctor Church in Vermont, has been sentenced to one year in federal prison after refusing to marry gay couples. This comes shortly after the Supreme Court's 5-4 decision rules, uh, ruling that states must allow gay marriage. You know, the problem you got with this, if somebody wants to be gay, they can be gay. I don't care. And on one level, I mean, I don't care. But they have to also understand that if I want to be Christian, I get to be Christian. Yeah, uh, well, that's and, the whole thing. The Bible says that, look, the homosexual routine is an abomination. And how is it that I am compelled? I think I have an answer for this. And I, th- you know, I, I think I have an answer for this. And, the, and ultimately, probably the gays are right, but only because we're living in some, in my opinion, the government operates on the presumption that we are within a territory or a district, an administrative district, rather than within a state of the union. I think the government is operating to say, well, you're in our territory, and we, federal law, absolutely applies in the territories. As per Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2 of the Constitution, Congress has exclusive legislative jurisdiction over the territories and districts like Washington, D.C., I think they presume we're in there, and I think that's how they get away with this. And on top of which, this Christian pastor, I don't know the truth of the matter, but I'm not going to be surprised if it turns out that he had a 501c3 church, which means he wasn't running a church of God. He was running a government church. He took the deal from the government church. And if that's true, well, 
you know, even though the pastor was probably too ignorant to understand what was happening, and this assumes I'm smart enough to understand what's happening, and I maybe I don't. Um, you got to actually straighten up and find out. You're going to serve one master, two masters. How many masters do you think you can serve? When you take that 501c3, you're trying to serve two masters, in my opinion. And if you get caught, one of the masters says, you're going to jail, Sonny, for a year. You're going to spend a year in the slammer because you refused to marry a couple of homosexuals. Well, it's it's bad spiritually, in my opinion. But on the other hand, technically, the way I understand things, and I always could be wrong, but the way I understand things, I think they're running that second venue, and when they do, that's where this presumably took place. Well, I think they'd have to be, because, you know, here you have, like you were saying earlier, a hierarchy of law, mm-hmm. okay? So we have the Bible, then we have the Constitution, and the Constitution of and of the states give people yeah, religious right. freedom. Now, okay, so the federal government writes some code, some statutes to say, well, we're going to make homosexuals a protected class, and we're going to make blacks and women and whoever else a protected class, and you can't discriminate against them, and this is a federal law. All right, but, you know, if my rights, my religious rights come from above that, how in the, you know what other explanation can there be other than well this is a different venue that they're this is different than yeah. what we all think's happening yeah or what most people think are happening you know I have a church yeah oh, yeah but it's a five hundred one c three corporation and this and any other thing and you think yeah I've got a church and somebody just you told think you. you've got a church of God right but when you took that deal you took a state a church of the state. That's what it really was when you set up that 501c3, and now you're owned and operated by the government. You took the deal. Yeah. Took the tax advantages and the rest of that sort of thing, and the government says, ooh, you know, in order to take those advantages, you've got to play by our rules. And when we talk about federal law, the question is, federal law where? Well, I yeah. Don't believe, I don't believe they can impose these penalties within the states of the union. I think they can impose the penalties within territories and districts of you the know, United States, I'm, but not states of the Union. And that's part of the reason why I do my little dance at the beginning of the program, say who I am and where I am and so on. Now, I'm looking at what this judge said here, and I, <laughs> he says, Religious freedom goes both ways, Mr. Horner. It's not your place to deny individuals the same rights that... Okay, wait a minute. Is he saying... That sodomy is a religion? Well, he's saying that it, it, it may be they're dealing with atheists, and they've declared atheism to be a religion. Because that's what he says. He says religion, religious freedom goes both ways. And, okay, so you didn't marry a homosexual couple because you said, hey, this is against my religion to do that. Yep. Well... What do you mean it goes both ways? So is homosexuality now a religion? Because that's that's what I'm getting what he's saying. It goes both ways, meaning you're sitting here saying your Bible says this is an abomination, so you don't want to do it. 
But it goes both ways. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean, are you calling homosexuality a religion now? Well, if they're going both ways, you don't suppose he was talking about being bisexual. (laughs) I don't know. But this is, uh, you know, and, and plus he goes like this. And see, here is the secular... This is why I think God's going to whack this country real hard is because of guys like this. I understand. I mean, he says, it's not your place to deny individuals the same rights that everybody else has, rights that were passed down and agreed upon in a court of law, the ultimate court, the Supreme Court. Well, really, that's not the ultimate court, I don't think. That's right. That's right. And which Supreme Court are you talking about, Supreme Court of the United States or United States Supreme Court? All right. Yeah. They have recognized two of those different courts when they changed names back about 1948. It used to be that the district courts of the United States were known as that. District courts of the United States, our federal courts. That's what we had in Dallas and, and Oregon and whatever. They changed the name from district courts of the United States to United States district courts. And my belief, I can't prove it, but my belief is that when they did, the United States District Courts are the ones that are in the territories. They're in the territory of Texas rather than the State of the Union known as the State of Texas. I think that's the presumption. You're going into the federal courts today, you're going into a district court, territorial court. And the same thing, this went through when they changed that name from District Court of the United States to United States District Court, same thing seemed to happen up at the Supreme Court level. We had Supreme Court of the United States, now we have United States Supreme Court. Two different entities, and they may still both be there if you know how to access them properly, but if you don't, you're going to get United States Supreme Court. And they're territorial, in my opinion, my suspicion. I can't tell you it's God's truth. Take it all with salt. But Well, you know, you mentioned this, and, and sure enough, here it is. Uh, but the church is also a registered as a for-profit business. Okay. It's not even a non-profit. It's a for-profit business. Yeah. And city officials said that means the owners must comply with state and federal regulations, which I, think I agree right. with that. I think they're probably right. So here we have this situation where the homosexuals are demanding that they get these rights from this alleged minister. And I imagine that guy thinks he is, uh, you know, Christian soldier. And he doesn't understand, oh, uh, no. You run a for-profit operation. Yeah, for-profit. I mean, most. I mean, a five hundred one c three is a, a not-for-profit. This is they're running a for-profit business. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what kind of church that is, man. Oh, I I do. I mean, it's probably TV evangelist church. They run those run those things for helping the poor and the rest of that. Um, send money. Yeah. You know, send money, send us money, and you'll get. And God will bless you as soon as you send us enough money. I need a new Rolls Royce. Uh, so, who knows? You know, you can look at this, and maybe some of the turmoil that we see coming out of this homosexual issue, maybe it's going to open some people's eyes. I hope so, because these churches are going to have to do something. You know yeah. what they say you know, whatever, or get off the pot. They're going to have yep. to, they're going to have to decide, you know, do you want to be a business? Because if you do, then you're going to have to do what they say. 
Yeah. You're a business. Yeah. But if not, then you're going to have to give up all that and yeah. just have a regular church. And, hey, you know what? If people are, like, so, oh, I'm sorry, I can't give you any donations. If I can't write this off my taxes, well, then uh, I'll just go give it to PETA, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then get out. You know, those people don't belong in a church either. I agree. I agree. You know, it's it may be that we will go back to the kind of churches that we had at the time the Messiah was walking around, or shortly thereafter. Or is this people met in somebody's home? Yeah, or like they're Didn't doing that in China now. Edifices that cost millions of dollars to build and maintain. Just said people came over to somebody's house, and somebody talked, and they studied the Bible. And as they learned enough, then people from that little group, 20, 30 people meeting at the, you know, somebody's house. Somebody became fairly adept. Somebody felt called. After attending church for a couple of years, he felt called, and he started holding his own meetings at his own house. And it was kind of a... Uh, Multi-level franchise deal, you know. It's kind of like what's going on in China right now. Exactly, exactly. You know, that's how they meet because, you know, <laughs> they're the the Chinese have the uh, uh, okay the authorized uh, Christian church that you know is kind of like our five hundred one c three or Catholic church, you know, that's pretty much a business uh, under government control. And then other you know people meet at homes. And they do get arrested, and they do get dragged down. They do get persecuted over there, at least from what I've read. But they're doing it anyway. So And they have probably the biggest Christian... They, I don't know for a fact, but I think they may have the single biggest population of Christians for any nation in the world right now. I'm not sure that that's true, but... It's up it's, there. It's, it's up there, and if it's not true that it's the biggest in the world, it's certainly a contender. Yeah, it's up there because, you know, they, uh, the Chinese, a lot of Chinese have really shined up to, uh, well, homegrown Christianity. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's just real sad because, I mean, you know, everybody thought this was real cool. Oh, good, 501c3 tax deduction. Now oh, that's great. And I'm sure it was great for a while. You know, lots of money, build a big place, maybe build a school, whatever. But now... The government, like always, says, time to pay. Yeah. Time to pay up. Oh, didn't we tell you? <laughs> you know, it's like Guido we're coming up to you. here to help you. We're also here to tax you. Yeah, it's like Guido. Fact, when push comes to shove, we would rather tax you than help you. You know, Guido comes to you and says, uh, okay, I can help you out, but someday, sometime, when I come to you and ask for a favor, you'll do mm-hmm. this favor for me. Yeah, well, that's the government. You know, sure, you can have this 501c3, make lots of money, and oh boy, you're going to be big and famous and rich and, and, and do do stuff that you think is probably good works, and maybe it is, you know, church, you know, schools and all that. But there's going to come the day when Guido comes and says, hey, time for that favor. Yep. And that's when you find out you've been serving two masters. Yep. All right, and that's what this other, this, this man in Vermont pastor probably pretty decent guy and the rest of that sort of thing and now all of a sudden he's he's going to have a year to try to figure this out in the while he sits in the slammer and i wonder i wonder if he'll come to the truth on this or just be bewildered and befuddled and whatever uh but 
This is part well, and parcel of living an interesting time. You know, there's organizations out there that uh, actually go and they have uh, seminars, and they they all actually go to your church and they and they teach you how to get rid of your 501c3 and why yeah. you know what's wrong with it and why you want to do this and uh, you know and how to do it because you can't just say, well, that's it, you know. Because what they've done to other churches, I believe Indianapolis yep. Baptist Church is a Ten good example. Ten years ago anyway, maybe even 15. What they did was, how they really destroyed them, they said, oh, oh, I see. So you want to get rid of your 501c3, do you? Yeah, that's right. You know, we're not going to do that anymore. Okay. Well, then, guess what? We're deciding that you never were a 501c3. And they went back and they said all these years, like as far back as they could go, like 10 years or 5 years or whatever it is, we want all the taxes that you would have paid to us if you weren't a 501c3 for all those years. You know what that sounds like? It sounds as it, what it makes me wonder is if 501c3 is it's supposedly some sort of a corporate church that mm-hmm. gets a tax break and the rest of that sort of thing. I'm wondering if you can't revoke it. Is was it intended to be an irrevocable trust? Well, you can, but you can't. You know, it's like anything else. It's kind of like, you know, you don't just got to do the dance. Well, yeah, you don't. You got to go through the steps. You've got to get out of it the way you got to get out of it. And you know, it's just like you don't just uh, like we've talked about. You don't just say, well, okay, I'll uh, I'll just show up at court. You know, I, I won't do any paperwork. I won't no, respond to any of this. I'll just go there and, uh, you know, get ready to pay my fine, whatever, you know. And that it kind of works the same way. If you ju- if you think you're just going to say, well, that's it. I've had it with this 501c3. I quit. Well, they're not going to let you just quit like that. There's a way you've got to go about doing it. No, I don't doubt it. And uh, But churches have successfully done it, so it can yeah. be done. Yeah, yeah. So you got to, you know, so I, this is really the, the government first, where nobody the first thing you have to realize if you're running a church and you want to get out of that 501c3, what's the first thing you have to recognize? Well, it's not a church of God, right? Right. You got to sit back. And if you're the minister, you're the peep, the priest, the pastor, whatever, or you're the members of the of the uh, of the church itself. You have to first get along with the idea. I come to a point where you say, oh, my gosh, all this time I thought I was in a church of God, and in fact I was in a church of the state. Yeah? That's not an easy admission for no. anyone to make. I mean, that's, that can be a painful situation. You may have been going to a particular church for 20 years or more, and all of a sudden you say, holy cow, I just found out something like it's almost like learning i thought i was worshiping i thought i was worshiping the christ in fact turns out i've been going to i've been engaged in some sort of satanism now i'm not saying that the 501c3 i'm using this as an illustration i'm not saying the 501c3 is satanic (laughs) Uh, i'm not saying that it's not either but i'm saying it's got to be shocking that's like finding out mom and dad come you know you've known mom and dad your whole life and one day they come and say oh by the way you're adopted Hmm. Surprise, surprise. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, because I, I think most of these guys, you know, really, uh, you know, they they were just taught, okay, here's what you got to do. You know, you've got to incorporate. Who taught them? Who taught them? 
Well, that's I'm not so sure about that. Bible colleges? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Those Bible colleges are teaching these young guys are coming through. They're going to be ministers. Well, first you've got to set up a 501c3, you know, and you can get an attorney, and they'll explain that to you. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible colleges are not teaching the students how to set up a church of God. Nope. I don't know that none of them do, but at least a majority in my my suspicion is that the vast majority, maybe all of them, if you've got a licensed Bible college, licensed by the state, mm-hmm. licensed by this state, my guess is they're going to teach you your fundamental obediences to the state. They might not come out and say that, but they're going to put, they're going to give you a mindset where you're going to sit back without thinking about it, just take it for granted. Everybody's doing it. It must be right. Well, his judge basically said that, that, hey... You know, you are going to, you're going to do what the state says, regardless of what your Bible says, regardless of what your religion is, regardless, you're just yep. going to do what the state says. You know, well, I, I mean, he, you're within one of the territories where the government, again, Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2, it says the Congress shall have power to dispose of and make all needed rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to the United States. Mm. Huh? They're, what they're doing is constitutional. When they come in and impose these rules and regulations and say you need a driver's license, for example, absolutely constitutional, but constitutional where? Yeah, right. They're not violating the Constitution. They're operating under under Article four three two. In my opinion, doesn't mean it's so, but in my opinion, and the presumption is you're in one of the territories. You're not in a state of the union. You're in one of the territories within the territory, and probably under the pretext of a national emergency, laws of the of the states of the union, the jurisdictions of the states of the union may have been suspended under pretext of a national emergency. Hard to say how this all worked out, but my strong suspicion is, you know, when they say this is the law, okay, I get it, it's the law, but it where is it the law? Is it the law in Canada? Is it the law in Mexico? Is it the law in Uganda and uh, Tibet and China and so on? All laws have a venue. What is the venue of the law that you're trying to enforce? And then we'll find out whether I am or I am not in that venue. If I'm not, buzz off. Well, listen to this dictator. I mean, this this, this judge here, he says, he goes on after the ultimate court statement. He said, it is, it is not your decision whether or not you agree with the law, but more importantly, that you follow it and enforce it. Wow. Not just follow it, but enforce it. What's that tell you? What does that imply to you? Well, see, you he thinks I got a duty or something to him. That's right. And what does the duty imply? Ah, fiduciary obligation, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that the Constitution. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that the Constitution of the state of Texas is a uh, express charitable trust. It's expressed because it's written down. It's a charitable trust because it's the only, that's the only kind of trust that can last forever. Other trusts, they are good for maybe a century or thereabouts maximum, and then you have to terminate it. All right, it's good for life plus 10 or 20 years, meaning the average life plus another 10 or 20 years. <clears throat> but you can't get a conventional trust to last for more than a century. It, it has to be disbanded. But a charitable trust can be. 
And I think that the Texas Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, says words to this effect. This Constitution is established by the people of Texas and for their benefit. And they specifically use the term benefit. tells me that the people of the state of Texas are the intended beneficiaries of the Constitution. It, and then that implies that the government is the fiduciaries. The government has reversed this relationship. Within the territories, you and I are presumed to be not the beneficiaries of the Constitution, but the employees and or fiduciaries of the Constitution. We have the obligations. And the judge may be telling us the truth there. It might not just be a bad choice of words where he says, hey, you have duties and obligations. That's a function of being a fiduciary, one of the employees of the government, rather than a beneficiary of a trust where the government's supposed to take care of it. Well, and I think, you know, just in this in this article here, it's pretty clear that that is what's going on. I mean, he's got a, uh, his church is a for-profit. Yeah. You know, the judge is telling him, look, here's how it is. Mm-hmm. And and that's that. And I, <laughs> you know, I mean, they, I know that, you know, I recognize their arguments saying, well, you know, he just was acting in his best, uh, you know, thinking he was doing the best thing and all that. I and mean, that may be true, but, you know, you get yourself into a situation like that. Yep. And, you know, I mean, you get a job somewhere and you think it's great, and then you start telling the boss what to do. He's not going to deal with that too well. Yeah, I understand that. You know, and that's basically what this guy did. He says, "I'm not, I'm not, I'm not marrying these homosexuals." Oh, yes, you are. You work for me. Yes, yeah. you are. Yeah. He took the license, and there's a license in there someplace. I'll bet you he's a licensed minister. And the whole idea that I don't know that that's true. I don't even know that there is such a thing as a license for ministers. I'm willing to speculate that that's probably true. I don't know if they call it a license, but there's something because they do. Well, when there's they, graduate from a from one of these Bible colleges. No, when they whatever. marry people, they always say, "By the power vested right. in me, by that's the state right. of whatever." That's exactly right. So there is some kind of license. They might yeah, not call it that. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if they've taken, you took the license. Hey, hey. You know, this is not going to be an easy thing for this minister to deal with. He may go, it would be very much preferable for him to set out a year in the slammer thinking that he is a victim and a martyr who has been oppressed by some evil government. When the truth of the matter may be that he was complicit, big time. And all the time he's been misleading people. When he thought he was running a Christian church, but it turns out you're actually running a for-profit business, and maybe in a territory rather than within a state of the union. You've been misleading the flock, fella. You understand? Yeah. And now uh, you're getting uppity and saying, hey, hey, I'm not one of the field niggers. I'm one of the house niggers. And I can say, ah, oh, you're still a field nigger, Bubba. You get, you know, you're going to pay a price on this now. You need to learn to mind your mind your masters, essentially. Yeah, well, and that that is how they're coming down with this, and this the the whole homosexual marriage thing really is gonna be. And I, you know, I'd like to believe that. Well, okay, you know, a lot of American churches are gonna say that's it. 
you know, then we're out of here. You know, we're not doing this anymore, this 501c3. If that's the thing making us do this, then we won't do it. But you know what? I have real doubts that's what's going to happen. I do, too, in part because they're, before they can do that, they have to admit that they've been defrauding the flock by misleading them, by bringing them, in, bringing them into a 501c3 or whatever, IRS-approved, state-approved church. They were not functioning as a church of God. Who, how many ministers want to raise their hand and say, all this time, we've been collecting money from you people? I've been running around wearing this, you know, this, this little black uniform with a collar. And I didn't know, but I was wrong. I was not behaving in a godly manner. I, from my perspective, it would be a wonderful thing if people just said, oh, my gosh, I have been making a terrible mistake, and I really want to apologize. I, want to th- I, I had no idea. I thought this was a church of God, but not many people are going to be able to make that admission to themselves and, and, or in public. They're going to say, oh, no, I was one of the good guys. No, you weren't. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's why I'm 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 a little, you know, I'd love to see it, but I just don't think it's going to happen in America. Plus, then there's the money thing. You know, it's not just the, oh, gee, uh, this might have not been what I thought it was. Uh, but if I stop doing this, well, you know, I've got to give up the, you know, I've got to give up the, uh, the, you know, the expense account, I got to yep. give up the car, the plane, the whatever, you know. I have, have to go out and get a job and work for a living. Yeah. It's like being an attorney or something. They can't give up that license. Are you crazy? <laughs> huh? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. And I, you know. How much money I owe on my law school exam, my law school degree? You know, that's I the can't thing. I the racket. Combined with, uh, you know, people don't like to admit they're wrong and people don't want to give up their money. Uh, gee, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to see. I'd like to see it, but I'm just. Uh, I'd be thrilled to see it, but I just. I don't hold a lot of uh, confidence no, that there's going to be a big revival. I agree. I agree. It's it's not likely to happen. And, you know, what are they going to do? Pay attention to you and me? No. I don't expect that. I don't expect that. They're going to say, "Well, those people are crazy. They they don't understand that." You know, and and you know maybe they are right. I'm not going to argue that I'm right necessarily. I don't do that very often. Say, oh, I'm absolutely right. But there's an argument to be made here that I don't think they're going to be pleased with. I don't think they're going to want to hear. No, no, that's true. And you know, I've gotten a chance to talk to these people who actually run a, you know, like I said, they run an organization. I think was that ELC. I don't remember what that stands for, but. You know, and the thing is, a lot of people, a lot of pastors come to their conferences or invite them to their place because they're interested. Yep. And they want to know. And, and they they're say, interested. Wow. You're talking about an organization that helps them to get out of 501. Right. Yeah. But a lot of the times they they told me that, you know, they get there or they come there. And uh, once they start telling them all the things, well, look, <laughs> you can't do this anymore. and You can't do that anymore. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, gee, uh Golly, uh, I don't think yeah, I no. want to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But, you know, what you really have to consider is the possibility that if you've got a ministry, a pastor, whatever, they're running in a 501c3 or some state-licensed church. Is it a church of God or is it a church of the state? 
I mean, you can look at the, you know, show me evidence in the Bible where any of the churches that you can find, uh, you know, at the in the Bible, which one of them were, which one of those were licensed? Any of them? I don't think there's any evidence of that in the Bible. Why do churches today need a license from this from the government? This is not a small question. This isn't just an odd question. This is the kind of thing where you sit back, wait a second, why do? Why do you need a license? Why do you need a license to get married? Yeah. Right? Who came up with that idea? I guarantee there's nothing in the Bible about, well, before you can be married, first you have to get a license from Caesar. Bunk. You know, the the biblical marriages, there's nobody handing out licenses up there that I've been able to see evidence of. No. They were married by, you know, they were married, I think, in some instances, they were just married by by virtue of living together. And uh, I, I'm not even certain that there was an official ceremony necessarily. There, there may have been, um, but I'm not sure that was absolutely required. No, I think the vows are, you know, just something that, you know, I, that's always been a part of it. But, you know, that's between two people. I agree. You know, that's not, <laughs> okay, get the whole neighborhood over here. And, and maybe, you know, people wanted witnesses to say, hey, look at this. You know, now we have witnesses that we are, in fact, married. But no. not. And it's not just witnesses that you are married. When you have the people there for the celebration. It's also a way of putting the rest of the community on notice that, hey, yep, these two are taken. All right? These two are married. That means, you know, ladies, you may have been crazy about George in the past, but George is off the market. Same thing with his wife, Sally. Uh, you guys want to hit on Sally? Uh-uh. That ain't happening anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. a way of giving, you know, it's 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 a way of serving, oh, ooh, ooh. You know, Sally and George are now, they're an item. And yeah. And we need to have respect for God. And now Sally and George and the government are an item. Today, as compared to, yeah, you know, I was alluding to the Old Testament and the New Testament, but today, you know, you got the three parties to the marriage, yeah. so two spouses and the, the government, and uh, how's it working out? Everybody happy with it? Well, you know, I know one, one pastor that's not happy with it. How did we get into no-fault divorce? What part of no-fault divorce exists in the Bible? None. All by itself, the fact that we can have no-fault divorces is not necessarily just evidence. People say, well, they passed law and said there could be no-fault divorces. No, that's not all we're talking about. We're talking about the. We're talking about the idea that uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Somebody's going by mowing their lawn in the dark out here. <laughs> and, um, if there can be no fault divorces, there's no proviso for that in the Bible. There's no proviso. We're just ah, I've had enough of that. I've had enough of that. I'm moving on. You know, I got you know. I've had enough. Goodbye. It doesn't even make sense to me, even in any in, in any no fault divorce. <laughs> what is, is that like? Let's be friends, and uh, you know, or enemies, or whatever, just indifferent to each other. But if you can get a no fault divorce, did you have a real biblical marriage to begin with? 
I doubt it. I mean, you know, I I doubt it. You know, with the you, know, you look at the terms of the Bible. You know, if you can get a no-fault divorce, you're never married to start with. You can if you got that license, though. Right. You got that license from the state. Well, go ahead. Well, you know, a license is uh, permission to do something that would otherwise be unlawful. So, you know, divorce is not something that is taken lightly. And I, I believe adultery is the only legitimate uh, biblical, you know, uh, divorce thing. And then even there's stipulations there. Fine. You, you know, your spouse committed adultery on you and uh, you want to divorce them. That's fine. But you can't go get married again. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's fine, you know. Uh, but you can't, you know, you're not going anywhere else. Yeah. Not not in a biblical thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you feel like taking a call? Uh, is it collect? No, no. Okay, then we'll take it. Okay. Right. Go ahead, caller. Thank you. And, uh, good evening to you, Al. This is Jay from Washington. Hello, Jay. How you doing? I'm doing well. You and I have corresponded. Yes, you uh, have. You sent me. Emails. You sent me two crosses that you had woven yes, out of. Yes, I did. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you got them. And uh, I apologize in advance for being a pest when I ask you kind of off-the-wall questions via email. But uh, like I stated in the emails, uh, I just uh, I value your opinion and so forth. But uh, your premise that that the, that the government presumes us to be, Al, like in a district, you know, or a territory, yes. that's well-informed. And it's I would even say it's it's brilliant. But here's the thing. Who gives them the right? Who gives them the right, Al, for them to presume anything? And and let me see if I can clarify this. Let me put it to you this way: uh, I'm a teamster. I have been for more than 25 years. And there's such a thing, like when a company wants to reprimand somebody or so forth, and there's nothing stated in in the contract or company policy. Mm-hmm. There's such a thing as called past practice. And when you can prove past practice, and it's very easy to do, you're going to win every time. Now, have we not been operating out under the presumption that we live in a constitutional republic since the founding of the Constitution? Therefore, the federal government doesn't just get to presume, or am I wrong, that we're in some kind of a district. Now, again, it's, a, it's well-informed, but past practice, I think, would apply here, Al. We live in a constitutional republic. and does not. Maybe we do and maybe we don't. All powers. Let me ask you about the constitutional. Let me ask you about the constitutional republic that you reside in. Does your constitutional republic? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just. I'm just curious. Within the constitutional republic where you reside, do you use gold as your currency, or do you use Federal Reserve notes? And I understand that, but past practice. I mean, it's. Of course I don't. Uh, I I use money just like anyone else. I get that, practice. but the Constitution. It wasn't me. You know, one of the things I mean, about we're, we're we're talking on top of each other here, but Jay, one of the things about the yeah. Constitution is when Article One, Section Ten, Clause One says, "No state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts." There isn't any I gold understand. coin in circulation in forty years or more in this country. All right. Now, and that's but that's not our fault. That's the government's why fault. Why haven't we amended the Constitution? Why haven't we amended the 
Constitution? And the answer, in my opinion, is it says no state, and it means no state of the Union. It doesn't have anything to do with the districts or the territories. The, the Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 never said no territory can use anything but gold or silver coin. It never said no district. They're giving you your notice. It's why the Constitution has not been amended. If you're living in a in some sort of a venue, a jurisdiction that uses this this these Federal Reserve notes, I think it creates. I strongly suspect. Can't prove it, but I strongly suspect it's a fundamental evidence that you're not living in a state of the union and you're not living there voluntarily. You're not objecting to using Federal Reserve notes, are you? Uh, well. What good would it do? I have to use them, so no, I guess I'm not yeah, objecting. Yeah, to it. I, I don't have a good answer for you, but it is, you look at some of these things, and there is simply an obvious, to me, there's an obvious point. Why haven't they amended the well, Constitution? If they would amend the Constitution and say, oh, it's okay to use Federal Reserve notes, then we're back in the States of the Union. By leaving the okay, Constitution amendment. Okay. We can't be, in my opinion, within the states of the Union, and that's where most of your rights apply that you find in the Bill of Rights, the unalienable rights um, granted by God. Those rights are not necessarily there, in my opinion, within the territories or the districts. It's not an accident. And, that that's and I agree with you. But, well, I, you know, we might but be right. And we my might argument insult. <clears throat> well, what do, you, do you think my argument has any merit uh, at all? I think your argument, if you can depend, depending, I'm not sure that I necessarily understand what your argument is just yet. You can explain that in a moment. But what I would say is this. If you understand this issue, I strongly suspect that just by raising the issue, whether your argument is logically coherent or not, if you raise this issue, I think the government might back off. It's not a guaranteed it's not guaranteed that they will, but somebody say, Oh, wait a second, I want this guy actually knows what's going on with the money system. He understands the two venues. Maybe it's crazy talk, maybe not, but if you raise the issue all by itself it might be enough to get people to back up. But you've got to raise it early enough where they can see it coming if you're gonna wait until you get to court before you raise it. It probably won't work. If you can raise it six months or a year before you get to court, now you've got a chance. Not a guarantee, but a chance. Okay, I understand. And I yeah. guess what my argument or my premise was is that we're operating, and we have been under a constitutional republic. I've said that before. I don't want to be redundant, but I just look at it as past practice. I, I, don't, I don't think that it's... I don't give up my right. I don't just let the federal government presume I'm somewhere where I'm not. I don't no, believe they have that right. Does no, the I'm Ninth Amendment uh, right. their, presumption, their presumption is that you have volunteered. They're sitting back and saying, well, we didn't force you into this territorial thing. There's just no gold or silver in circulation. And so we had to create this emergency and allow people to use Federal Reserve notes to discharge their debt. And we couldn't do it within the states of the Union because the Constitution says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin, a tender yeah. payment. Oh, and these emergency circumstances, we just created the presumption that if you're using this stuff, you understand you're the people. You understand these things. You read the Constitution, right? You get it. You must have voluntarily entered into the territory. 
You left the State of the Union. How do we know? You're using Federal Reserve notes. You didn't object to it. I have, you know, again, I mean, I, I'm speculating. This is all speculation. I don't expect anyone to believe what I'm saying, but I'm, <clears throat> to me, they have to be operating on the presumption that you volunteered into this alternative venue. Okay, well, let's say that that's true. Yep. So then it just seems to me to be like some kind of a vicious circle. Like, so then how do we get out? Are you telling me? How do we get out? Not volunt- I mean, we're not a constitutional republic. Not volunteering. Well, it's, you know, part of part of it is you just wind up playing dumb. All right, I've got a constitution that says no state. I I've got a constitution. That I've got the Articles of Confederation, for example, that create the states of the union. I'm going to just sit back and say I am operating within one of the borders of a state of the union, and I am prepared to swear okay. to it. All right. Now, if the government's willing to put somebody on the witness stand and says, oh, no, you're not, you're in a territory. You thought Texas was a state of the union. You silly fool. You are operating in a territory or a district of the United States or a state of the United States rather than a state of the union. If they want to put someone on the witness stand on the public record and to tell the jury that <laughs> there's, they're running a separate venue, I'm going to be very mm-hmm. much and seeing them make that admission. Once I stand up and I say, because in front of a jury, I can say that I'm operating within the borders of a state of the union. And if I can explain that in a way that's clear enough for the jury to understand, the jury's going to say, well, yeah, I'll show them what the proper name is for the state of the union, for this particular state of the union. I can point to the act of March 30th, 1870, that admitted what we call Texas back into representation in Congress, and they say as a state of the union with the name the state of Texas. That's the name. That's all I'm going by. Who's going to come up to the witness stands? Oh, no, you're not in the right. state of the union. If you can't do that, then you better stay away from me. Because I'm going to make that claim, and I'm going to claim the rights that I'm entitled to within that venue, and how are they, you know, if you are sufficiently adept, and it's not a guarantee, you've got to know what you're talking about and be able to present it to a jury and find a jury who is susceptible to these arguments. They hear and they understand and say, wait a second, yeah, this guy's making sense. If you can do that, then maybe you can get a positive, you can get a positive result. But there's not a guarantee. A jury no, can say, this guy's crazy. you know, this guy's crazy. We don't have to listen to him. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've been called crazy before. Well, I just wanted to call and ask you that question. Now, I don't want to take up any more of you guys' time. I appreciate all, right. all that you and Frank do, and uh, we'll talk at you again later, Al. All right, Jay. Thanks very much for your call. What do you think, Frank? Well, you know, we've talked about rebuttable presumptions in the past, and I think that's a very important thing, and part of that is questions. And, uh, you know, because, you know, you don't just... I don't know, very seldom do you just end up in a court beef, you know. I mean, these these things get going. In court. Right. It starts with a piece of paper that probably comes to you in the mail at least 90% of the time and maybe more. Sometimes you get picked up by the cops out on the street for one thing or another, but it all starts, somebody gives you a piece of paper. Yep. And if you can go after that piece of paper, that first piece of paper is the most important key document in the entire case because it will allege or imply the venue. 
It will allege or imply the laws that you've allegedly violated. It will be based on a presumption of your citizenship or your residency or whatever. And if you can take that first document and tear it apart and say, nope, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen of these states. I'm, I'm one of the people of the state of Texas. If you can raise those issues early on, um, you got a chance. Not a guarantee, but you've got a chance. No, and I like the idea of a- asking questions like, well, what do you oh, mean by absolutely. United States? What do you mean by state of Oregon? What do you mean yep. by this? What do you mean by that? What do you mean yep. by all this? And then when the judge says, uh, do you understand? No, I don't. You know, well, I don't understand because you haven't answered any of my questions. And most well, of the time so, they won't. Well, I understand. But you've got to get those questions down in response to that first document. Yep. If you're asking questions in court too late, all right, those are questions that you should have asked early on, in my opinion. If you're waiting for answers in court, you're too late. You've already messed up. You've made a big mistake. But if you can ask those questions, and for example... Um, one of the questions I'd wanted to get a traffic ticket. Do you, did, did the alleged offense, do you believe that the alleged offense took place within the borders of the state of Texas, a member state of the perpetual union style, the United States of America? Yes or no? Huh? Mm-hmm. I'm not just asking them to explain in the sense of, well, what do you mean by that? I want to give them. I want to show them. Here's, you know, I, 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 did, did you did you understand that I'm one of the people of the state of Texas? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes or no? Not open-ended questions. Just yes or no. Yes or no. Yes or no. Everything I do is try to get on yes or no. Make it as simple as possible. And I don't care whether they understand. I don't care if they agree with me or not. It's enough if they say no. I didn't understand that. Okay, I can work with that. Right? Because their response is going to add, give me a base, their response will be another notice. Mm-hmm. And it gives me another basis for more questions. <laughs> and from my perspective, we need about three rounds of questions before somebody's going to say, we're going to run out of paper before he runs out of questions. This guy is bad for business. Well, it might be. But if they really want you, I mean, nobody is nobody's invulnerable to these people. Well, that's true, but generally for a traffic ticket or something like, you know, just the, well, the obvious revenue-raising uh, stuff they do. Yeah. You know, now you go out and kill somebody or rob somebody, and, you know, that's different, but... Yeah, I agree with you. You know. I agree. But it still will start with that first piece of paper. Yeah. And it will contain most of the presumptions that you that we have to battle against, or at least we believe we have to battle against. It'll be there. If you can, every document, as you get further away, the the second document won't be anywhere near as important as the first. And the third document won't be anywhere as important as the second, and it won't be as, or as, as important as the first. That first document is the cornerstone, and it looks like nothing to the average person. But from my perspective, my opinion, that's the one. All right, you can go after the rest of them. May have to go after the rest of them, but go after that first one. If you can get that first document, that's when, that's before we ever get to court. All right, um, that's the one where, as I understand this right of inquiry, notice and right of inquiry, it's like discovery, but discovery doesn't apply until we're going to court. Right. All right. 
The notice and right of inquiry applies administratively, and I'm not sure that administratively is the right term, but I'm going to use it. It applies before anybody says, we're taking you to court. No, wait. Before we go to court, here I have a couple of questions. Well, and the uh, inquiry goes along with the whole informed consent, because I can't consent to anything if I if I don't know what I'm what I'm consenting to. So you'll have to explain it to me. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I have questions. Now I realize you want me to consent to something, but I'm going to have to understand this. So you're going to have to help me out here. And yeah. do you understand that I have a right to consent on to the use of certain definitions? For example, I might put that for a question. Do you understand that I have a right to not consent? to the use of certain definitions. I don't care what they say. Say no. We don't understand that you have the right not to consent. Great. Great. Just give me an answer. I don't care what it is. I can work with it. Are you saying that I have to use, when you say United States, Hooven and Allison versus Evett case that gave us three definitions and they implied there could be several more. So tell me, which one of these am I obligated to accept whichever definition of the United States you guys are relying on? Without telling me? <laughs> tell me. Which one you got? Come on, come on. You know, show your hand is what it comes down to. It's like playing liar's poker. Just put the number, put the, hold the dollar to your forehead so I can see the numbers, and then we'll do some, and we'll swap lies on this. And I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. I don't intend to swap lies, but... Uh, let me ask you another question. Get off on another subject. Jade Helm is supposed to start tomorrow. They will be coming to nine states altogether. Texas will be one of them. We are designated to be an enemy state. Oregon is involved, if I understand correctly. Isn't it true that Jade Helm is going to Oregon also? I don't know. Actually, hmm. I, I don't know. Uh... Well... I hadn't heard that. <laughs> Pay attention. There may be a knock at the door. Well, I'll we'll find out, I'm sure. <laughs> they, they may be, we're, we're here from the Pork Producers Association. Yeah, and yeah. Here to, uh, no, I've been, uh, I've been following uh, Texas. Apparently, Texas is going to be uh, shadowing the troops with, uh, you know, they're not all. It doesn't seem like uh, overall Texas is very happy with this. Well, do you think Jade Helm is a dangerous situation right now? Sure. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I don't know if it's as dangerous as, you know, some people say it is. But, yeah, it's always dangerous when you've got the United States military running around in communities training, I think. I think I it's get, a bad precedent. I, I think it's a bad precedent, but from what I've seen, the reports I've seen, two of them I've seen, one of them says that the entire Jade Helm uh, the, the personnel directly involved in Jade Helm will be a thousand members of the military. That's it? Divided up among nine states. I've seen another report that said there were 1,200. That's nothing. I, I mean, the average is, is something like 110 people per state, if those numbers are accurate. I'm sure that Texas might have 500 or something rather than 110, but even if it does, this is not evidence of some sort of a military takeover. All right? And this is what? If there's only, if it's true that there's only that many people involved, I don't see this as immediately dangerous. It may be laying a foundation yeah. for some 
a military martial law or something that they intend to implement, you know, five months from now, five years from now, That's whatever. What I'm more, uh, I'm more apt this to go that way. Deep. This might be a preliminary step, but this is not the deal if all we've got is 1,000, 1,200 men. Now, I can't guarantee that that number is accurate, but I've seen it in two reports. So I was curious whether you thought Jade Helm was really dangerous or merely annoying. Well, I, I think it's, you know, like I said, I think it's dangerous. I think the idea of it's dangerous. I agree with that. You know, I don't think that it's necessary. I, I really, with that amount of people, I don't see what they're going to accomplish, really, if, no matter what they wanted to do. Uh, Go out and arrest a couple of radio talk shows. Yeah, well, yeah. But Send a half a dozen or ten troops to the front door of a couple of different homes and uh, businesses and whatever. And uh, In theory, that's possible. But the reaction they've had from the people has got to make them wary. I mean, all they're doing is putting 1,000, 1,200 people out, and they've got people all over the country that think, oh, my God, this is the beginning of martial law. They've got to be sitting back and say, whoever came up, who came up with this dumb idea? <laughs> yeah. Colonel Smith, was this your idea? Well, I don't know. I got, you know, uh, I mean, this is kind of blowing up in the government's face. Well, and it is. You mentioned they're, they're, they're going to have National Guard. Texas National Guard is going to be shadowing the government this yeah. country. Down here in Texas. It may be that they send 500 soldiers to Texas and they've got a 1,000 National Guard to keep an eye on them. <laughs> yeah, they got to wonder. Well, hey, you know, that's a good training for them. I mean, if it's considered an enemy state, well, welcome to the enemy state. No. You know, I understand. We're, we're outnumbering you and we're following you around. Yeah, we're keeping an eye on you. So good and, luck, good luck with that whole blending in thing you wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, I understand. You're going to put on. You're going to need a little more camouflage than you're wearing if we're if we can follow you around and so on. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll put ankle monitors on them. Now here's something that I just read. <laughs> Texas, <laughs> we're going to have you come on down. You want to exercise? You go ahead and have your military exercise down here. But all of your troops are going to have to wear ankle monitors while they're here in Texas. <laughs> now here's something that you mentioned: Oregon and Jade Helm. I just, you know, I typed that in because I really didn't know, and I'm like, well, Oregon's Jade Helm is not a military drill. Oregon, res Oregon resident Jade Helm has been getting mixed up with upcoming U.S. military exercise in Texas. Oregon resident Jade Helm has been getting mixed up with the upcoming, uh, I just read that, after speaking with the woman who shares the name with the much-talked-about drill. So, apparently, there's a woman in Oregon named Jade Helm, and mm -hmm. they say here that she's the only woman in the country named Jade Helm. And... She's getting a lot of calls and stuff because people think that she's, uh, you know, some military uh, operation. And you think she's not, huh? Uh, well, she's posing as a wine consultant. Uh-huh. I have no idea what that means. Story. She's the head of the whole Jade Helm operation, I can tell right now. Well, that's why they Funny. named it after her. Uh-huh. That's exactly right. She's probably going to be the next president. She's going to be, we're going to elect Jade Helm rather than Hillary. <laughs> then Hillary? Yeah. You know what? I have to go for that. Uh -huh. well, you know, 
Although you could have said my dog, you know, I'd have to go for that too. Uh, anybody but Hillary. What do you think about uh, Donald Trump and his exchange with El Chapo, the uh, Mexican drug lord? Well, I mean, I, I heard what you said earlier today, and I, I, I tend to agree that, okay, look, here's this guy is a murderer and a drug kingpin. Yep. And he doesn't like Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, gee. You know, I bet that hurts Donald a lot. I understand. There go, there goes Donald. You just lost the Mexican drug dealer vote. Yeah. yeah uh, we should start an organization. I talked about it earlier today. Well, uh, drug lords against Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> What's good for drug lords is good for America. Uh, What's good for Mexican drug lords? Yeah. Right. It's good for America. We can start that, and we can have meetings and collect dues and the rest of that. I mean, it's almost comical. It's, it, it's like you know. Obama getting out there saying, we got to do something about guns. And, yeah, you know, exactly. You exactly. Know, gun sales skyrocket. Yep, the gun deals. Will somebody get Obama to please do something about guns? I mean, the drug dealers, or gun dealers, excuse me, they should be sending email to Obama every day. Please, please speak out against guns. Uh, you know. Yeah. Supplement our income. I've well, got one. I don't know. I gotta say, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know. And I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump because I've watched him for a long time. And, uh, but given the choices, you know, I mean, you know, when you have a, you know, when you're in the sewer, your choices are well, you know, they're not all that attractive. And I don't think Donald Trump's all that attractive. But out of everybody I've seen. I got to say, I, I think he's going to, if he doesn't really stick to it and he doesn't become a legitimate candidate, at least he's going to get a discussion going on things that they would have never talked about if well, he wasn't in it. Not only that, I saw a report today from the Washington Times. I just saw the headline. I haven't read the article, but the headline, pretty much self-explanatory. Rand Paul has filed civil suit against Obama based on, I don't even remember what it is, one of the laws or whatever, I, don't, I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but Rand Paul is one of the Republican candidates for president, mm -hmm. and he's suing the president, all right? He's initiated a lawsuit, and what I'm doing, I'm sitting here, to the, I'm sitting here off on the sides, and I'm saying, you know, Trump is a tough act to follow. Yeah. All right? You got to do something if you want to get into this. You want to be a contender in this election. You got to do something like sue the president. Now I'm not sure that's what's motivated Rand Paul to sue the president. I don't even remember. It might be Obamacare. It might be something else. I can't remember what it is. But he's suing the president on on the implementation. Maybe it has to do with uh, illegal aliens. I don't. I, I don't even recall. But it just came out. Breaking news. Huh. Sometime late this afternoon. And I'm thinking, I wonder, is Rand Paul saying, look, i gotta stand. I got to do something. How can I compete with Trump? I know. I'll sue the president. Could be. It could well, be because, you know, somewhere along the line, I mean, they're going to, you know, and I don't, I don't know how long the mainstream media can keep the fraud going about illegal aliens and how we got to love them and, you know, be yeah, nice yeah. about it. And they're just here to better their lives and all this other stuff. Because, mm. you know, Trump gets out there and he says, hey, these guys are rapists, murderers, and whatever else. And he also said, not all of them, but look, it, it happens and it shouldn't happen. And 
the American people. Yeah, I mean, he he, he soars in the polls. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, the the media is going, oh well, gee, oh oh, we got this drug kingpin over here. He's gonna beat up, uh, you know, Donald Trump or something. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, oh, and then you know, oh, that the whole thing with Univision with uh, and NBC with mm-hmm. U.S. Miss USA or Miss America, whichever one it is. I mean, they really tried to hurt this guy hard. Uh, and all it does is blow up in their face so far. So far it has, because yeah. I think he's, uh, you know, and they can say what they want, but Donald's going to come out smelling like a rose money-wise, because you you don't get to just say, I'm canceling a contract worth however many millions of dollars. I understand that. You don't get to, well, I didn't like what you said on mm-hmm. TV about well, something. Well, it'd be different if Donald was gay. Yeah, it would. If he was gay, well, then, you know. Um, or, excuse me, if Univision was all gay, then... then <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, then it would all be okay to mess but with... But the thing it. is, you know... You make money off this deal. Yeah. I think the art of the deal... You know, you remember... Bo Greitz. Mm-hmm. Bo ran for president back... Uh, 92, I think. Yeah, about that. Mm-hmm. And you know one of the things I learned at the time? Uh-uh. All the money that you collect while you're running for president, <laughs> before you're actually nominated, at the time you didn't have to report and you could keep. Sweet. Yeah, buddy. I mean, it was an incentive to run for the presidency knowing you would not you know, the last thing I want to do, whatever you do, don't, you know, uh, let's make sure I'm not supported and I'm not nominated. Then I get to keep the money. Well, uh, and that's kind of what that's like. That's what Ron Paul did, too. Twenty million bucks he gave to Rand Paul. Yeah, that's how he got. Uh, you know, that's the money he used to run for Senate. You know, and Ron Paul collected that money. on. Oh, I'm going all the way to the end. We're going to go fight this to the end. And well, no, we're not. I'm giving the twenty million to the kid, and he'll be a senator. I'm retiring. You know, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, it's there's way the too Trump much money. Is the art of the deal. You know, he may have to write rewrite that book, The Art of the Deal Two. Yeah, it involves. We're just, it just has nothing to do with real estate transactions. This has to do with making a buck off running for public office. <laughs> now, I'm not alleging that's what Trump is up to, and I don't believe it is, but. Uh, uh, I don't never, think it is either, but you know these. Don't turn a dollar. He's going to be worth more coming out of this. Oh, he worth. is. He is. And I think these uh, these these deals that they just you know they made a big deal, and they thought that they'd go out in the media and say that's it, we're canceling Donald Trump's uh, contracts with us, and blah 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 blah. Well, you don't just get to do that, you know, because yeah. somebody said something you don't like. You don't can't yeah. just cancel a you know million dollar contract. I He's going to make them pay for that. Yep. You know, and he won't have to, and he won't have to perform. You know, before this is done, he may own Univision. <laughs> yeah, he may own controlling interest in Univision before this is all. All right, I'll let you guys off the hook. You got to give me controlling interest. Yeah, or NBC too, because <clears throat> run my guys, beauty man. pageant for free. Uh, yeah, I think he's gonna. I, I mean, like I said, out of the pack that we have, and I mean, really, it's pretty, pretty. And then it has been for years. It's just been pathetic, you know. <laughs> Although that guy from Wisconsin, 
Yeah, Scott Walker. I, I, you know, I followed what he was doing with the teachers unions up there in in Wisconsin, and he really took a lot of heat, and they really came after him, and he and he survived, and he did a good thing for that state. Well, it's good if he's for real. Yeah, I don't know that if he is or not, but that that one thing that he actually did it, and yeah. You know, and he's one of these guys that said, look, okay, here's the thing. Yeah, you want lots of things, and everybody wants lots of stuff, and everybody wants a raise and a new car and all that. But, you see, we're going broke, so we can't do that. Yeah. You know, and and that's just the reality. So we're going to do this, whether you like it or not. We're going to have to deal with you, and no matter... We're going to have to deal with you as adults rather than spoiled children, and it doesn't matter what you want. You can hold your breath till you turn blue and stamp your little feet, but we don't have enough money to buy you a pony for Christmas. Yeah. Sorry. That's the way it is. And that's yeah. kind of how he ran that up there, and they, they did a recall and everything on him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he survived that. Because, again, you know, the people of the state said, yeah, you're, you know what? I don't want any more taxes. I don't want, you know, why? So these people can get a better retirement, a better... I don't even have a retirement, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and the government retirements on top of everything else, they make Social Security look like chump change in most instances. Yeah, well, per, um, uh, what is it? And per? some of them are able to retire after 20 years. Well, yeah. the chumps out in TV land that are that are paying Social Security, they're going to work 40, 45 years before they can retire. A friend of and mine. And then at half or less than what you could make working for the government for 20 years. A friend of mine down in California knows a guy who worked for Caltran mm-hmm. for 20 years. Yeah. And he re- he's been retired for 40 years. Yeah. You know, and, and the people wonder why. And he's doing real well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they wonder why California's going down the tubes, why they're yep. going broke. Well, it's the same reason. I mean, these deals they've made are insane. Well, they seem attractive when you first make the deal and all the union members cheer and they say, hooray, we're going to get rich when we retire. But that retirement may be 20 years away, maybe more. And by the time we get there, the politicians who made the promises are no longer in office. They're down the road with whatever money they've gotten. And now it's up to a future generation to actually pay off on the promise. And that future generation, if they're at all smart, they're going to say, Yeah, I'm not going to work like a slave so you government employees can retire and live large. You know, what I mean, they, they have a wife and children and a family and the rest of that, and I can't if I'm going to support you. You know, here in Oregon, I was just reading yesterday a, uh, a news article about uh, a court ruling here. Their retirement here is called PERS, P-R-S. And, uh, you know, the state of Oregon said, hey, look, we're going broke, too, like everybody else, and we can uh, we got to cut some of this stuff out, right? So, of course, the public employees union sued the state of Oregon. Yep. And this judge said... Oh no, you can't do that. Can't do what? You can't you cut can't their. Do, you can't you cut, cut their what? retirement. You can't cut yeah. that. You got to give them everything that you said you'd give them. I wonder how that's going to work when there isn't anything to give them. Well, that's a real good question, because I'd look at how many, who made those promises. You got to give them everything you promised these people. Okay, who made the promises? Was that Congressman Smith and Representative Jones and Senator? Uh, you know. Alberts, 
If so, maybe we ought to go after them, and we'll just take their estates. Right? What are their? What's your home worth? What's your car worth? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, because you got to give these people everything you promised. That's right. You're the guys that made the promise. You make good on it. All right? We'll find everybody responsible for making the promises, and they have to make good on it or at least try to the extent of uh, their estate. We'll leave you, your wife, and your kids. You can you can keep the clothes on your back and maybe one used car worth a maximum of $10,000, and the rest of it has to go to the Public Employees Union. Yeah, there you go. They'd be happy about that. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the real, here's the Oregon part of the story. PERS, the uh, Public Employees uh, Retirement thing, the Supreme Court rules, of they say, no, no, you got to pay them everything that you said you'd pay them. Well, the Supreme Court justices are in PERS. That's where their retirement comes from. Yeah. Does yeah. that sound like a like a conflict of interest? Is that even something legitimate anymore? Conflict of interest? Does anybody even do that anymore, or what? Well, it depends. It would be a conflict of interest if you did that. Ah, okay. See, but when the judges do that, it's merely the appearance of impropriety. It's not an actual impropriety. It's not a real conflict of interest. It just looks like that to the great unwashed. They they look at this and they see us. We've got our hands in the till, and one hand in the till, and the other hand stuffing dollar bills into a into a bag that we're going to take home with us. And it looks like something shady, but <laughs> us. You know, it's all on the up and up. Yeah, so I read that, and they, and they it's funny. They saved it to the end of the article to tell you, oh, and by the way, the chief, you know, the the Supreme Court of Oregon is uh, actually, this is their retirement plan, too, and, uh, you know. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How <laughs> can you rule on that? Yeah, I understand. It's just, you know, that, that, but Oregon here, they do a lot of stuff like that. Here and I'm sure all every state got there. All of them do. They get away with murder. That's what it comes down to, and they take it for granted that they can. It's just their right, and yeah. they take it for granted. We don't have to. Yeah, it's, as long as we're putting money in our pocket, that's the purpose of government. And you know, it's it's not true, but they get away with it because the public allows them to get away with well, it. Well, it won't be true Ultimately. forever, I don't think, because you know, I don't know. The economic situation does not seem very stable. No, we're coming to a moment of reality. Right? And who's going to say it might happen this fall, might happen in a couple of years. But we're coming to a moment of reality when the House of Cards is going to be seen for what it is, House of Cards. And at that point, there's going to be some serious changes and nobody is going to be pleased. No, I just hope people, you know, take the advice of all the, uh, you know, the the alternative media telling people, you know, hey, food, water, you know, guns, ammo, gold, silver, you know, get yourself prepared, man. Look around yeah. and say, look, yeah, hey, true. everything I got is all I'm going to have. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about that next time around. We're out of time. Didn't take any commercials tonight. But, no, we didn't. Uh, we've got 30 seconds left. I don't know. Anything you want to make? You want a closing remark, Frank? Oh, no. Not really. No. Um, cook your pork, ladies yes. and gentlemen. There you go. That would be it. Listen listen to words of wisdom from this is why he tuned into this program. <laughs> he don't learned. let this happen to you. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. uh, stay away from that uncooked pork. Yep. All right, Frank, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I enjoy talking to you. Thank you, folks, for listening. Thanks, Jay, for calling in. 
We'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you and me and Frank, Stefan, and Jay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. used to say, Johnny, eat your greens. She knew something about health that we've mostly forgotten. Most of us get little or no greens daily. Four Spectrum Chlorella gives five times the chlorophyll of any plant on earth for cleansing inside out and 50 times more lutein than spinach for healthy eyes. All eight essential amino acids, over 60% high-grade protein, and numerous vitamins and minerals. The cracked cell wall absorbs toxins, even heavy metals, and flushes them out of your system. Four Spectrum Clean Green Superfood is a whole food concentrate with no negative side effects. 100% plant source dehydrated chlorella, pressed into tablets, using no binders, fillers, excipients, colorings, or other additives. One month supply, $35, two months, only $60 postpaid. Read more at 4spectrum.us. That's number 4spectrum.us. Call 903-714-7767. That's 903-714-7767. Order today. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth